Should you cheer for bad guy athletes on your fantasy teams? Should you even roster them? I'll ask Nando DeFino, fantasy editor for The Athletic, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, June the 21st. It's show number 27 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature interview with Nando DeFino, the fantasy editor for The Athletic, talking about the ethics of putting bad guys on our fantasy rosters, keeping them there, and even cheering for them. We'll talk about finding under-the-radar prospects who can help in the near term and about managing fab. And of course, Nando will have his boons and banes for the balance of the season. We'll have our Market Watch player news reports. Harold Nichols will have coverage of players in the National League, including Pablo Lopez and Kyle Hendricks. And Greg Fishwick will be pinch hitting for Jock Thompson with player news from the American League, including Mike Clevenger and Giancarlo Stanton. Todd Zola is in New Hampshire this week, doing some work at a university up there, so we'll give him the intentional walk and resume our regular talk with Todd next week. We'll also have our commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our frequent flyer commentary, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Houston starting pitcher Jose Urquidy. In our weekend pitcher matchup segment, Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick takes his regular turn in the batting order, looking at some matchups this weekend, including a marquee matchup with the Mets right-hander Jacob deGrom in the friendly confines of Wrigley Field on Sunday to face Cubs left-hander Cole Hamels. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about a reason to target Clint Frazier. It's another Big Friday full edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's summer. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, it's June 21st. It's summer, officially. And that means it's time for baseball to get into its summer run. In the first inning of this Friday full edition, part one of our feature expert interview with Nando DeFino, fantasy editor for The Athletic. Nando, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. It's your first time. It is my first time. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. I've talked to you briefly at some events in New York. You've never been to first pitch, though. No, well, you know what? It's My life goes right from baseball to football and back. And so uh, it, 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 it's... By the time March rolls, or wait, first pitch is the sorry September, <laughs> October. I'm, this I'm already year, yeah. in football. I'm in football. I'm stuck in football mode so hard every time. Sorry, I get my excuses for labor and first pitch mixed up sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, first pitch is always football, and I've got to pay attention to that. And uh, and I just keep kicking myself every year for not being able to do it. But such is life. So I, I like to start these. Uh conversations by asking you about your teams how many teams are you running in fantasy baseball this year and how are they doing i have eight um and it's just like a wonderful mix of extremes like some are doing really really well and uh and as you know like tout wars uh is terrible and just a mess so um it's weird because the core is kind of the same like i had a lot of players i liked that i reached for who then they're doing well but um you know like tout wars i'm in 10th i think but, uh, you know, a couple home leagues <laughs> bragging about that I'm doing well in. Um, and, and just a couple other expert leagues I'm doing okay in. And then the best balls, I'm all over the place on those too. What, uh, in 
in a nutshell, what has gone wrong with your tout team? Tout's been it's been ridiculous. Well, okay, so kind of like one thing, which was injuries. Uh, I've gotten hammered pretty hard with basically everybody on my team getting injured, and it's kind of like you know people, especially in an American League only league, you're kind of screwed if you lose. 180 strikeouts you were depending on because you can't really replace it with anyone and then my replacing job hasn't been so great I've blown a lot of fab on some players who uh, did not justify that spend but like for, like I've lost Giancarlo Stanton I lost Carlos Rodon uh, McHugh like I know people say he was demoted and then he went on the DL but, or the IL but I think the reason he was demoted was because he was hurt um, it, it, Tyler, Tyler Glass now who I had pegged as my Cy Young Award winner and who was doing it got hurt so it's just kind of like um I've lost a lot of things I was depending on and my adjustments have not been as good as I thought they should have been yeah sometimes what I like to do is look through the league and just add up the salaries the auction salaries not the fab salaries of all the players who have been lost and and usually you can tell that a, a team that has a fairly significant amount of dollars on the disabled list is going to be struggling and at one point I think you were almost at a hundred of your, of your original yeah. 260. I mean, that's really hard to recover from. Again, especially, as you said, in a league like where the free agent pool is so thin, especially on the hitting side. Yeah, and it's, I mean, like, I've actually done better picking up random hitters um, than I have with the pitchers. Uh, I think you, you actually, so I wanted Chris Davis when he was in the midst of that 0 for whatever streak, and I think he was on your team, and I was thinking, yep. maybe I'll offer a trade, and then you released him, and I just picked him up in free agency. Yeah, it was one of those things where I would have liked to hang on to him, but we only have the four reserve spots, and and mine were spoken for. So I thought, well, he may recover it sometime this year, but I can't waste the slot. And uh, he actually, right after you picked him up, he started doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it had to break either way, but I I dug into his numbers. I've been like a Chris Davis file for, I guess, seven years now, um, and you know I've, I kind of always have a little place in my heart for him. And I, you know, you sit there, you're like, he can't be this bad. And so I dug into his numbers, and I said, you know, he's hitting the ball hard. Uh, I even went so deep as to see, and this is still early enough where you could count it and just eyeball it, but, uh, you know, he, he wasn't, he was taking counts deeper than he normally does. He was seeing more pitches per at-bat than he ever had in his career. So I kind of figured, like, he's not chasing things like crazy. He's just being very patient and maybe trying to get into a groove or get some kind of rhythm going. And, uh, you know, he turned it around. I felt like a genius for about three weeks. And now he's kind of swung back the other way. So <laughs> I have no choice. He's on my team and I have no one to replace him with. So that's that's how we're rolling right now. Yeah, that's the tough part of it. All right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Giancarlo Stanton. You got some good news when Stanton got activated. What are you expecting from him for the balance of the season? I mean, I'm hoping maybe he just kind of goes nuts and makes up for lost time and does like one of those 280, 26 home runs from now on. Um, I'm not very confident in that. So, for instance, I threw out Giancarlo Stanton. I sent an email to the entire league. I'm like, look, I have my one Giancarlo Stanton here. I'm getting destroyed in every single counting category. So maybe I can trade you my Giancarlo Stanton, and you can give me, like, some pieces. And I gave an example of, like, I'd rather have a Profar than Listella. And then that just kind of turned into Chris Liss having an issue <laughs> with me picking on his Tommy Listella, and I never got one offer. So I can't win, Patrick. I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to help people. <laughs> I'm trying to help people out. But uh, I need to inherit some risk right now. And for me, Giancarlo Stanton is, is a better trade ship. You know, his, his say he hits 28 home runs, that'll be nice. Um, but it's not going to help me as much as maybe taking three gambles, three little pieces, 
and all of them hitting, you know, 15 the rest of the way. Yeah, I, when when I looked at your roster after Stanton was announced that he was coming back, you, you're pretty much buried in the power categories, and even if he hits like 25 home runs, you may get one point out of it. Yeah, and <laughs> exactly. 60-plus RBIs, you're only going to get one point out of that. So the way you can get max value from a guy like Stanton, given your team context, is you've got to try to, to figure out a way to – manipulate him onto somebody else's roster and get back something that they're either extra strong in or extra weak in. And then the problem in this year's Tote Wars, I think, as is the problem in a lot of leagues when people are trying to arrange these kind of things, is the categories are packed so tight that there's not really a lot of opportunity for somebody, like when I look at it, I say to myself, geez, I could maybe you know offer Nando a, a decent starting pitcher and, and this kind of suspect hitter, and maybe he'd be interested. And then I realize, but however many points I'm going to gain in home runs and RBIs from Stanton, I'm going to lose them right back because I'm so tight in wins, I'm so tight in Ks, you know, stolen bases, whatever the case might be, that it's really hard to find the wiggle room to do trades these days. Yeah, and I, so I was looking at, um, like, Mike Podhorzer's team. And it, there were, like, there were a few, like, I'm like, oh, okay, I can take Miguel Sano, I'll take Billy Hamilton, and then, you know, like, maybe Yonder Alonso. And I don't even know if he'd go for that, but Stanton for those three in my brain seems kind of close enough. Um, where, you know, maybe you, you reason that Billy Hamilton could just be totally released if Bubba Starling comes up because he's playing so well in the minors. And then Miguel Sano, Podhorzer has to think, you know, Sano's just not good. And, you know, a few years ago was an aberration. And Yonder Alonso is just terrible this season. Um, but maybe he turns it around. But those three for Stanton, but then I look, you know, who's he going to replace them with? There's, I mean, you can, he's got a swing, which we have these weird Tout Wars rules, I guess. Uh, I don't know how many people listening are familiar with it, but... You have the swing position. You only start four outfielders. Uh, so your swing could be a pitcher. Um, so I figured he could just throw a pitcher in there instead. But I, I don't know. There's no way I can offer it because they'll have these three gaping holes. You know, that, that it just doesn't it doesn't add up right, basically. Yeah, and, and again, if Billy Hamilton comes onto your roster, you're 17 bags behind the next guy in that category. So, I mean, Billy Hamilton could conceivably get 17 extra between now and the end of the season, but that that's only one point, you know. Again, right. the, the uh, if you're at the bottoms or tops of categories, you have a different kind of situation than most of us who are in the middle of all these categories, and it's very tough for us to see our way clear to a situation where we're both going to gain some points in different categories because you're giving away power and I'm giving away speed or whatever it is I'm giving away. Right. And by the way, Patrick, if you'd like to go through all the categories where I'm doing wonderfully bad, uh, feel free. <laughs> Just a recap for everyone. I'll name a category and you can say I need 23 of those to get one point. Yeah, that'd oh. be runs. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's grim. Yeah, well, you know, I got look, if you in a, in a perfect world where, you know, if this is like OOTP baseball, if I got Tulowitzki on there who never got hurt, uh, Greg Bird who never got hurt, um, Devin Travis who maybe came back at a normal pace, McHugh, Radone, Glass now never got hurt. Um, you know, now I got Hanniger on the DL just when Stanton comes back. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, I look at my team and it's not like people are even playing terribly outside of, you know, like Kikuchi and uh, Michael Givens. But anyway, they're, they, they're not team destroyers. It really is the injuries and it's just kind of like, too many and too many categories that I need all at once, which is a shame. 
You mentioned on your Twitter announcement about uh, John Carlos Stanton and that whole thing uh, that they were pretty much going to have to play Stanton in the outfield because Encarnacion's going to take up the uh, DH spot almost full time. And you called that what maybe a bad idea. Are you really worried about the health implications of Stanton playing full time out there? Uh, I mean, a little bit. It's it's you know it's it's that that famous Jimmy Rollins quote: "The Cavs are tricky cats." Um, I've noticed like I like looking at injuries a lot. Um, and I've done it throughout the years, and it's just uh, calf injuries are weird. Calf and back, they scare me more than than like you know a knee. You know what you're getting. You know how to fix it. Um, calves are still kind of strange things, and even Rollins in that big quote that he had got a little more nuanced and talked about how you know they're they're kind of like a vague area. It covers a lot of ground. People don't know a lot about them. Um, so of course he's going to be running around on the, the bad calf. And on top of that, the shoulder and biceps, its that's just going to naturally kind of wear down. You can only get so many cortisone shots. Um, I don't know. I hope he's fine. I like him. I, I love Giancarlo Stan, regardless of him being on my team. Uh, but I, I do think, like, the course of action I would have taken was keep him a designated hitter and don't run down his legs and don't have him tweak a calf. I mean, I guess if you're running the bases, if you get a hit or anything, then that's going to happen naturally too. But I would just try and lessen the amount of time that he's throwing a ball and running to catch it. Um, but Yankees are a smart team. Cashman's a smart GM. Uh, they had the reasons for doing it, so hopefully he stays well the rest of the year. Yeah, I think that's a reason that that owners can feel confident is when a, a smart, well-run team is willing to to accept that risk or has a much better understanding of what the risk is and doesn't think it's that bad and they think he can handle it. If they're okay with it, I guess I'm going to be okay with it and uh, I'll give Stanton full credit for it. Uh, having said that, I I was a little surprised when they when they traded for Encarnacion. I thought, oh, maybe this is an indication that Stanton's more troubled than we think because maybe he's not coming back or maybe they don't think he can handle the uh, offense requirements of DH. Why would they sign Encarnacion otherwise, especially since they have out, they had lots of outfielders they could play out there instead of Stanton? I don't know. It's all a, a very interesting thing. Uh, moving on, you, you bid $18 out of your 1000 on Austin Nola. He's a multi-position eligible player in Seattle because you thought he might be in line for the at-bats of the now-departed Encarnacion. You also said you were sure you were going to lose the $18 bid to somebody else. How come you were so sure? Uh, I, I really thought everyone would be thinking the same way that I would. I mean, you see a player get traded, and then the team calls someone up, and you just kind of, he's even like a, a tinge of prospecty, or they have some hope, or they want to see what's going on there. Um, I, I mean, I can't plenty examples out of my hat right now, but I know that that happens. And, uh, and Austin Nola just seemed like that guy who's like the immediate replacement for Encarnacion to get his at-bats, and there were even some, I think, there was some quote, it wasn't like, you know, a Roto World blurb, it was a quote from someone saying, we're going to play him, and he's going to get some at-bats, so I just assumed, like, everyone else was on that, and I had a, a, man, I think at that point I had 34 fab dollars left out of 1,000, and uh, I'm like, all right, you know, let me put 18, I think that's just a a normal weird number that, you know, someone might say 15, someone might say 10, um, if someone goes 20, I'll lose them, obviously. But I just assumed there'd be like one of those $68 bids or $100-something dollar bids, and there weren't. It, it was me and Chris Liss, I think, and he put $2 down on them. So it's not like I even love NOLA. I just need at-bats right now more than anything, And uh, as you've so wonderfully recapped for us. Uh, so I just took a shot. If he hits 230 with a couple home runs, whatever, you know, as long as he's getting like 28 to 30 at-bats a week, I think I'm okay with that. 
The question that came to my mind, Nando, when I read the tweet and started thinking about it, is why you just didn't bid more. You had 34, you said. If you thought this guy was worth it, you could have gone 30 or something like that. Is your process to be more disciplined about trying to bid to expected value, or is it more bidding to market expectation? What's your process for setting how much you want to bid on a fab player? Uh, well, it's it's kind of a little bit of every like. I kind of hope that I know some of the people and what they need. You know, I don't go as deep every week as like for Austin Nola, for example. I didn't go through and look at everybody's team and be like, oh, well, do they need this? Do they need that? Um, it was more just you know I needed him and the options were okay. So it's really more if, if the options are good for me beyond the player that I really want. Um, you know, so Austin Nola is in my utility. He could have been a swing. I could have gotten a pitcher instead. I got Brad Boxberger for two bucks. And I think I had some pitchers as my backup bids to Austin Nola. I would not call myself disciplined with uh, right now currently $10 left out of 1000 My feeling this year was, especially when the injury started to hit, let me just blow all my fab money. Because I've been in these leagues where people have that little throw-in fab. It seems like it's kind of easy to get. And if my fabbing doesn't work to fix my injuries, I'm going to have to trade. And in that trade, I'll try and get some more fab back. Um, so I was okay blowing it early, and, and by the time I got to this Nola bid, it was just kind of like, if I really need him, if he's the only guy out there, maybe I'll go like 32 so I'll at least have $2 left in case of emergency. But, um, you know, that 18 fell kind of right in the middle of the 34 so I figured I'd have half of my fab left. That's that's really the process that went through my head. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything magical or mathematical or deep. It was just kind of what I want to have left after after I win this bid. And, of course, that can be colored by the fact that Tout Wars allows those $0 bids, which I live on every year towards the latter half of the season because I've usually spent, I'm either hanging on to all my dollars hoping for the crossover or I've spent all my dollars like this year. I'm down to less than 100 I think. And I'm relying on those $0 bids for those temporary two-week replacement type guys, especially on the pitching side. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Nando DeFino from The Athletic. Uh, Nando, how did you get involved with The Athletic in the first place? Um, well, actually, my uh, so I worked with this guy, my, my friend Sergio Gonzalez, who's the managing editor for the NBA. We worked at CBS together from 2012 to 2014. And um, I guess when they were talking about starting uh, the fantasy section there, he just threw my name in the ring. And, you know, we met, we, we talked, and uh, they hired me. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It's a beautiful love story. <laughs> Uh, swept off your feet, or somebody swept somebody off somebody's feet, I guess. Exactly. Uh, uh, and what is your role with The Athletic now? Uh, just managing editor for fantasy sports. So for all the fantasy sports, including uh, how many of them do you guys run? Uh, we te- Well, we technically have four. We have uh, you know football, baseball, hockey, and basketball. Um, but our, our – well, we don't have golf. Our NASCAR section that just started – we have uh, there's a guy who's like a brilliant NASCAR kind of data scientist, uh, and that kind of you know borderline fantasy. And John Wallen actually does fantasy soccer, but he's technically under the soccer section, uh, so I have no purview over them. J- j- so the big four I kind of run, but we do have some kind of adjacent fantasy stuff running elsewhere on the site. What's the philosophy of how you want the athletic to handle fantasy baseball information for readers? Um, you know I. It was kind of so we first put together football, and when we put together football, it was you know I knew a bunch of people, I read a lot of people, and there are a bunch of people who I kind of like very much respected, and um, I guess kind of in your head when you're like if I ever start something, these are the ones I would want here, um, and it was it was like a specialist team. 
like Emery Hunt, the scout. Um, you know, you went down the list, you, had, you know, Renee Miller, the neuroscientist. And for baseball, it was a little different because, you, I mean, you can get like the closer writer and you can get the waiver wire writer and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I've known Al Melchior for a while and I just love how he writes. Um, and, I, you know, obviously Ron Chandler is one of the best. And Gene McCaffrey, who I love, but I just love reading. Like I met him before and then I'm like, let me read some Gene McCaffrey. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like he's, he's writing the way that he talks and like he's just making sense and then he throws in these crazy stats. Um, so I kind of departed off that, that specialist route and kind of, you know, looked at people who are unique and have really cool points of view, um, smart. And, you know, every, every time you bring someone in, the question is, will this satisfy a subscriber? Like, does it make them feel like we're earning every cent they're paying uh, to be a subscriber to The Athletic? And if the answer is yes, and it's something you can't get somewhere else, uh, you know, especially somewhere else for free, uh, then it's just kind of like a, a, a move that we make. So it's, it's just like for baseball, it became a group of just really smart. Like Matt Medica is this high stakes player who has these great opinions and digs up these great stats and was always putting out these tweets comparing players and stuff. Um, and, you know, he's not a traditional writer, but we brought him in and we're like, just do this column. We can fix it up and edit. But your opinion is very important and it's very cool. Um, and I think it's worked out so far. It's, it's just baseball has become more of a philosophy and more of a, you know, uh, I guess a, a greater fabric of do you want to read these guys and do they bring something that's unique and different? And so far, so good. And how do you guys manage the relationship between fantasy baseball and the athletics? Really excellent, real baseball content. Well, thank you. Uh, it's it's cool. Like I found the beat writers, you know, we're all on Slack and internal email, internal email and um, the beat writers have been just wonderful and helpful and great. So anytime we do something, um, well, I'll give you that. So I did something on Ryan Meltapia when he was about to be called up. And I'm like, this guy's hit 300 for seven straight years. He's got some power. He's got some speed. His OBP is pretty good. Um, you know, defensively, kind of whatever. But if a guy's hitting 305 total over the last seven years, you know, with a full plate of at-bats, something must be up. And so I shot a note to our Colorado writer, Nick Groke, and I just asked him, like, can you just give me some color on Tapia? And he gave me a bunch and we went back and forth. And I'm like, can I just use all this in the column? He's like, yeah, sure. And so it kind of became like a column where, you know, I could have just been the fantasy guy being like, oh, Rymel Tapia, what's going on? And instead it became a pretty cool and informed story about how Nick Groke kind of ruined my love for Rymel Tapia with all his inside information and him knowing, you know, so, you know the coach, the way he talks and, and just a little deeper knowledge on Tapia from having seen him and, and just heard about him. Um, so we do a bunch of that. And then about once a month, we do a beat writer roundup where we ask them like three questions about their team, you know, questions that fantasy players can really act on and would want to know. And, uh, and they, they always comply. Like they're just really nice. And it's it always ends with like, Hey, anytime I love to do this. So, um, even the ones who don't really get fantasy sports, they're just incredibly open and easy to work with. And, and I don't even think they know how important it is to fantasy players. Cause they're like, Hey, yeah, no big deal. No problem. So it's been very, it's been awesome basically. And for anybody who hasn't uh, had the chance to look over The Athletic, the model is that in addition to national writers, and you guys have some of the biggest names in, in that business, uh, Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark and guys like that, but in addition, every city has a beat writer, like an old-fashioned beat writer from the newspaper days, which gives you the combination of 
local coverage plus the national overview. And I really find those, uh, it takes a lot of time to read and the athletics, a great way to kill time. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but I, I always read those, those local guys beat coverage of the teams because back in the old days, remember where USA Today used to have that one page that had a, a blurb from every city kind of, and it seems like I'm getting that, only it's not a blurb, it's an actual story with actual analysis, with actual insight. I really think that that's a, a huge benefit to me, not just as a baseball fan, but as a fantasy player. Man, I've, I've identified some pickups out of there, I have to tell you. Dude, I think about a month ago, uh, James Fegan, um, the writer for the White Sox out in Chicago, had mentioned something about Aaron Bummer. And that, you know, like last week was the big Aaron Bummer week for everybody. Uh, so they're, they're kind of talking about these players who are doing things. Um, Giolito, we got some good stuff preseason about the tweaks that he had made. Um, our, our, actually, our Cubs writer, uh, Shadev Sharma, like found out somehow that Jose Quintana in August of last year started pointing his toe down. And like it, it, you know, from that point on, he had you know X number, X FIP, all this. It was amazing, like the, just the stark change when he pointed his toe down, and just like stuff like that that you just kind of skim through. Um, it's you're right, like it's it's amazing, like they're just like these little things buried in, a, in an article where you know they might not know how much it means to a fantasy player. You got to read a lot of it, obviously, but it's there and it's good. It's cool. I read that Quintana thing and I ended up with a share in one of my leagues this year strictly because of that. I I think those kind of insights are really important because we're at the stage, I think, in fantasy's development. I've been at it for 20, more than 25 years. And back in the day, you know, as I said, you could look at uh, USA Today or, or, you know, there was a real limited uh, amount of information that was available. I was working in the newspaper business at the time, so I had access to all the wire service stories, which was a huge advantage. But those advantages are gone in the information age. And now the information it's not enough to know that, you know, so-and-so is going on the DL, we all, or IL, I guess. We all know that. Now the question is, is there a pitcher somewhere who's pointing his toe downward? Yeah. And you know what? Um, and this is, it's, I think a lot of people, you know, we all have the same information, but I think a lot of people, you know, don't have time. Like they'll go to Roto World, they'll go to Roto Wire, they'll, they'll read the notes, Roto Ball, or any notes section you can get. Um, and sometimes like some of these stories, like, the 860th word is where they begin talking about this one random thing that, you know, might not mean a lot in real baseball, but for fantasy baseball is a huge thing. And that's kind of like where taking the time to open up all, you know, 32 windows and, and read the latest stories. It's, it's helpful. Like I do it a lot and you pick up little things, but I get paid because I have the time to do it. So we've tried distilling some of the stuff down and some of like fantasy column roundup things. It's just uh preseason it helps a lot more than in this season. But there's still little nuggets here and there and it's just I don't know. It's tough to track, but that I think that's the advantage like you say we have right now is everyone else has this information handy. The advantage now is time to actually go dig in and read that stuff in detail. You also write quite a bit at the Athletic especially about fantasy football and you had a column recently about whether it's okay to root for a good fantasy player who might also be a bad guy in his personal life. And the examples were mostly football players, and heaven knows the NFL has enough of those. But baseball's had its share of domestic violence situations, for example, Odabel Herrera, Roberto Osuna. How did you end up settling this conundrum in your own mind? No, I didn't. I actually didn't. Um, and you know what? That, that whole thing came from Osuna. Osuna's on my Tower Wars team, and I'm sitting there looking at him, and I'm like, you know, I like... 
well, first of all, I wanted to look up and make sure with like his his trial was over, like charges were dropped, and there wasn't anything else coming where I'm going to lose him. He's like you know weirdly the one bright spot on my Tot Wars team. Um, so I'm like, all right, you know, let me. There's also all these other players looking at Kareem Hunt now on the Browns, and all these scenarios kind of came into my head. But the problem was I didn't I didn't have an answer when I wrote it, and I didn't I still don't have an answer. I mean, I'm going to feel weird if I have like Kareem Hunt on my fantasy football team. And I got to cheer for him in like week 11. And, you know, sitting there, it's someone next to me at the bar wouldn't know anything about fantasy football. And they'd be, you know, what's wrong with you, man? You know what that guy did like on video? So, yeah, but at the same time, it's a game. And, you know, someone told me someone else is going to pick him up if you don't. And it's kind of right. And then somewhere along the way, someone wrote me a note, I think on Twitter, saying, you know, our league just bans those players. Like you can't draft them. So it takes that completely out of the equation, Uh, which I thought was interesting, but it's just you know, unrealistic on a large scale level to be able to do that. And then you kind of got to judge who's a bad guy and who's someone who's been accused, but charges never brought and is that real and whatever, whatever. And it just got so messy. So, I mean, I wrote it because it was on my brain and the guy next to me is like, you should write something about that. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, but uh, the conclusion, there's no conclusion for me, Patrick, I have zero idea what to do. Um, and it was weird. Like everyone just kind of had a different opinion on it too. It was, some people were like, hey, it's a game. You just got to do it and go and win and take that money and, you know, spend it on something good. And some other people were just abhorred by the fact that you'd even consider having Roberto Asuna on your team. So, I don't know. What did you think? How did you end up after you read? Were you like, all right? or were you, no? Well, I thought about it, Nando, in the, uh, in the sort of big picture context. And I thought about the, all the people I play with, all the other owners in my leagues. And I think... For the longest time since I've been involved in fantasy, my approach to the players has always been they're like chess pieces. They're, they are objects that I'm moving around on a board, and I uh, and I, the reason I think that's an effective way of looking at it is because I don't want to get too attached to a guy I might have to trade. I've been involved in trade negotiations where I, I remember one very well. It was in Tout Wars, actually, but in the mixed league. And I made a very serious pitch for a for a very good player, but I explained, you know, to we went back and forth, and I explained to this to the other owner, here's why this makes sense for you, here's why it makes sense for me. I can gain in power, you can gain in speed and saves or whatever. It was a very well thought out uh, offer that I made him, and I, his reply eventually was, "I see what you're saying. I think you're right, but I just really like this guy." And, uh, you know, fair enough, everybody's got their reasons, but I've always thought that when I'm looking at these players, to me, they're just meat. And that's one of the reasons I don't play in national league leagues because I'm a Reds fan and, and I don't want to have to make that determination of having a Reds guy, you know, be uh, somebody I I need to trade when I like the Reds and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I really felt for you. And I don't think I've been faced with the tactical decision of whether to, to take a guy that I know is a, a bad apple, but for instance, I don't think Bryce Harper is a bad guy in the sense that he's been found to be, you know, the kind of guy we're talking about, but I just don't like the cut of his jib for, for want of a better expression. And so I've tried not to roster Bryce Harper if I can avoid it. And usually I can, but if he, if the bidding stalled at him this year at $13, you know, I think I might've got in. Right. Oh, Pat, let me, you know, now that you bring up Bryce Harper, and I'm sorry if I'm taking this off the rails, but I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Um, I had made, we, had, we do these roundtables, and I had made this comment, you know, they asked for our top five the rest of the year, and I put Bryce Harper at number five, 
and they're thinking, well, you know, he's betting 220 right now, so you know he's going to go nuts from you know this point forward. Maybe be a 310, 300-ish hitter to get to that 270 mark, uh, you know, along with a bunch of home runs. And a bunch of people went off on me saying, I don't understand the gambler's fallacy that you know if you think Bryce Harper's a 270 hitter, then he's going to hit 270 the rest of the way. Um, and it turned into like actually its own column about how you know I do understand the gambler's fallacy. But Bryce Harper isn't dice, and he's not a roulette wheel. You know, he's, he's a kind of a borderline crazy obsessive human being who's going to just dig in and go nuts. Um, and I, like, I really thought, like, that would have been it. And the comments were nuts, and the tweets were nuts about people, like, oh, you don't understand, you know, Bryce Harper sucks, and he's going to only bat 270 the rest of the way. Um, so, I don't know, do, how, do you play like that? Like, if Bryce Harper's hitting 220, and I think he's going to be a 278 hitter at the end of the year, then I'm buying right now if I trade for him like a very good Bryce, not the 270 hitter Bryce Harper, but the 300 hitter Bryce Harper to get his numbers up to where they need to be. Well, I, I do appreciate the idea that Bryce Harper's not a, not a pair of dice. We can't uh, predict with any sort of kind of certainty. We really can't predict uh, a pair of dice either in the, in the short sample that we're talking about. It's going to be, what, 300 plate appearances or something like that. And I've done, uh, I did a research piece for Baseball HQ a number of years ago showing the, the natural variation in a 300 hitter over r- various lengths of time in games. Derek Jeter was the guy. And over his career, he was a 300 hitter, and that and that line narrow get, gets very narrow in its variation the longer you look at it. But if you t- take a look at any sort of 90 game or 100 game or 50 game or 150 game uh, span, the narrower the span, the more the variation. And so I would say if I'm looking at Bryce Harper, knowing that he's a 270 hitter and I've got half a season left, I would expect not that he's going to hit 270 the rest of the way, that he's going to hit somewhere between about 220 and 320. And any of those outcomes would be perfectly normal for a hitter of his talents and a guy that we think is a roughly a 270 hitter. And that's what he pretty much is for his lifetime average. I think he could hit 320. I think he could hit 220. And I don't think either, either way that you can complain or cheer what he did. It's just within the normal realm of variation. And that brings us to the idea of how much risk are you willing to take and if you really need if you really need to throw the dice metaphorically speaking then a guy like Bryce Harper is the guy you have to get because he could given his talent he could be a 320 hitter the rest of the way or he's more likely to be than most of the other alternatives yeah it's it's i, I don't know it has my head spinning now with the the strategy and the risk and uh, the gambler's fallacy is not something that I needed to introduce to my lexicon for fantasy, but you know here it is. I want to inherit all the risk in the world right now on most of my teams. I'm a risky player. I don't like like finishing fifth to me, and I know this is like a tired trope, but is the worst thing in the world. So I just want like the give me Jerks and Profar, give me Bryce Harper, give me everybody, and I just want to collect your stats. You know, in that one out of twenty time when they all hit at the same time. So. I imagine Bryce Harper is a 310 hitter the rest of the way, and I will put up trades for him to try and get him and even kind of quote unquote overpay for what he is right now, if that makes sense. Like, I will pay draft value for Bryce Harper right now, assuming that he goes over the draft value because the good is coming afterwards. And that's where I just love taking in risk. I'll take in so much risk, Patrick. That That's, I mean, if you want to manipulate me right now in Tower Wars, throw all the risky guys at me and you can have Giancarlo Stanton. <laughs> 
who's a risky guy in his own way. And I think part of the part of the reason you're willing to do that is because of where you are in the in the various leagues that you're talking about. If you were sitting in first by two and a half points, of course you're going to be probably way less willing to absorb that risk or to take on that risk unnecessarily. If you can avoid it, you might even be doing the opposite and trying to acquire a John Carlos Stanton and offloading some of the overperformers that you've got for the relative certainty of getting what you need from a guy who's got a track record of providing it. Yeah, but the flip side is I'm not going to take any of those overperformers. Like I'm not like even though I'm I'm wallowing and I'm you know I think it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to win Towers this year, but um I, I'm not going to take like a Tommy Lastella. You know, like I understand like that's that's not you can try and unload them on me. Maybe if, you know maybe if I'm in fifth place and there's like a tinge of someone in fifth being like, well, you know, if Lastella keeps it up, he never played full time. He did show some power in the minors. Uh, you know, I could I could maybe consider that. But for me, what I need right now are underperformers. So kind of like selling high isn't going to work. Not for a team like me, at least. Um, you know, I've still, I still have my wits about me. I still know a lot of these guys are playing over their heads. Um, so that, I think that's the weird conundrum in fantasy is, you know, someone wants to sell high, but who's going to take those guys who you're selling high? And to be clear, I don't think you should either. But if you're Jason Collette and you're leading the league at some point, and if I know Tommy Lastella is not part of his roster, but if he were, it might be he might be thinking, you know what, I I need to get this guy off my roster for fear that he's going to sink my winning team, and I'll give three of those kind of guys to Nando to get back Giancarlo Stanton because I feel more secure that Stanton's going to keep me in first place, and I think the exact opposite is true if you're the guy down in sixth or seventh or wherever who's trying to move up. I think he has to roll the dice on these overperformers or or guys that. Uh, you know, like you said, three maybes for one sure thing. Right, but if you're sitting in first too, like whenever when I'm in first place and in leagues I'm in first place, I'm I'm like shaking with fear that something's about to happen, like the other shoe is about to drop. And in football, I don't feel that way because it's you know 13 games. In baseball, it's come like I know it's coming. Like if I have the perfect pristine team and everything's going the right way, and I've hit on a couple of guys who maybe I shouldn't have hit on. Like that dollar flyer I took at the end who I wasn't targeting. I just kind of took because he was the last guy who was, you know, there. Like I got Tim Beckham. If I was a first place team and I have my $1 Tim Beckham there or my $3 Tim Beckham, whatever, um, it's, you know, I'm worried. And I think you got to kind of just wonder, like, maybe I should inherit some risk so I can increase my lead instead of just kind of sitting tight and bringing these safe players who at some point could just all blow up in my face because it hasn't hit them yet. You know, like the, the chances are something bad is going to happen here. You know, I've, I've played enough. I, I, I know enough about baseball where, you know, some guy's going to be hiding an injury and he's going to hit 198 for two months until he admits it and goes on the, the DL or the IL for a little bit until he's healed. Um, it's coming. So maybe, you know, you're in first place. Sometimes I actually throw some, some guys out and try and inherit some risk because the dudes who got me there, they're due. They're due for something bad to happen to them. There's a million ways to look at it, that's for sure, and and a lot of it depends on, you know, you throw the guys out there and you just don't get a good offer, or you do get a good offer, and that's how come deals get made. Uh, Nando, this has been great so far. Uh, Let's take a breather. I've got some National League and American League news reports with uh, Harold Nichols and Greg Fishwick coming up, and we'll get back to this uh, in a few minutes. Excellent. Nando DeFino is fantasy editor for The Athletic, and he'll be back a little later in the show. Coming up, our Market Watch reports on player news from the National League and the American League. Nick and Greg, next on Baseball HQ Radio. 
Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the rotisserie gaming column, Stephen Nickrand looks at stat cast surgers in 2019. In the big hurt injuries column, analyst Matthew Cedarholm updates injury situations affecting five players, including Hunter Pence, Byron Buxton, and Justin Smoke. And in the Reliever's Buyer's Guide, columnist Doug Dennis looks at the volatile situations on five teams, including Toronto, Minnesota, and Seattle. And those are just three articles among literally dozens, a small sampling of all the great content you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. Player performance validation in facts and flukes, news updates in playing time today, roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers. There's fantasy market analysis by former big league general manager Brad Coleman in the Market Pulse. And as you heard, we have injury analysis in the Big Hurt. There's even more than that, and there are tools, like the player projections updated every day, daily dashboards, pitcher matchups tools, and leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. When you add it up, you've got expert content and tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Time now for our Market Watch Player News Reports. Greg Fishwick is on deck with the American League. And leading off, it's our National League Report and our old friend, Baseball HQ analyst Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. We'll start in Miami. A right-hander Pablo Lopez was having a really terrific year and was very widely appreciated by the tout community. The fantasy baseball experts out there have been saying for quite a while, this is a guy you need to look at for your roster, but unfortunately went on the 10-day injured list on Wednesday. A right shoulder strain is what the team announced. The team recalled a left-hander named Jose Quijada from AAA, and they were scheduled to recall super prospect Zach Gallen to start on Thursday night against St. Louis. Uh, Phil Hartz covers all of this for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. So how does the playing time shake out in Miami with Lopez not in the picture? Well, Lopez's replacement with the Marlins will be, as you said, hype prospect Zach Gallen, who came over from the Cardinals before the 2018 season in the Marcelo Zuna trade and was recalled on Wednesday. He was not among the Marlins' top 15 prospects entering 2019, but he's been thriving, to say the least, at AAA New Orleans. Over 14 starts, a 1.77 ERA, 112 strikeouts in 91.1 innings. Uh, so really, really... Uh, has gotten the hype. We'll see how he does once he hits the majors. As for Lopez, he's been having a very good season. Uh, 3.68 XCRA, 123 BPV. Uh, it's really unclear at this point how serious the shoulder issue is. Uh, until we hear more, an optimist might point out that he only threw 120 innings last year, and this might just be a decision to give him a breather. So I sure wouldn't drop him until we know, know more information. Uh, in any event, his, his owners do need to be monitoring the news before deciding how to handle this injury going forward. I think you make an interesting point there, Nick, about the possibility that the Marlins, like the Dodgers infamously, are using the injured list, especially because it's only 10 days, to just get guys off the roster for a little while, especially these young pitchers, and they're trying to control their innings, they're trying to control their aggregate pitch counts, and... I think this is something that's going to happen with increasing frequency, frankly. They're going to say, uh, hey, Pablo, your shoulder's a little sore, isn't it? No, it's a, yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> you know, And all of a sudden uh, right. he gets himself a 10-day you know, vacation. He's down there in Miami, maybe goes out and hits the beach. 
And it makes it very difficult for us as fantasy owners to say, oh, I don't know what to do, especially in leagues where the rostering rules don't let you move guys on and off the roster easily. Right, it very does. It does create all kinds of fantasy issues for us because we don't know how long guys are going to be out. Uh, if we've got uh, kind of weekly changes in uh, uh, in rosters that can only be made at specific times of the week, that makes it even more difficult, especially when guys go on the IL the day before you, you have to turn in your lineup for the next week. So it causes a lot of fantasy issues, and it means you've got to keep up every single day with what's going on in terms of the injured list. And there are some leagues, uh, the uh, great fantasy baseball invitational that I play in is an NFBC rule, uh, rules league. Uh, it's managed by the NFBC infrastructure. And in NFBC, there is no injured list. You've got seven reserve slots. You can fill them with injured guys. You can fill them with prospects. You can fill them with bench guys. You can do whatever you want, but you've got seven. And if you've got your seven guys on your reserve list and all of a sudden somebody says, hey, guess what? Pablo Lopez is injured or we think he's injured, but we're not sure. Then, you've re- then you really face a really difficult situation because if you want to put him on reserve, you have to get somebody off reserve. And that can mean dropping a player you'd really rather keep. Right. It can, it can very definitely do that. I've got, I've got uh, a league I play in where we only have a four-person reserve list. And uh, what that means frequently is that a prospect, a, a very hype prospect, may get dropped mid-season because uh, it's, it's a keeper league. So a hype prospect gets dropped mid-season because there's no place else to put anybody and you've got to get somebody on your roster. So you keep up, but, uh, you know, frequently you can grab something mid-season because they get dropped simply because of the, the injuries that are going on. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, uh- you know, we say that all the time, understand your league rules, but also understand what the guys in your league are doing. Because if you look at your, the, the other teams in your league, you can say, oh, this guy's facing a roster crunch. I, uh, I may have an opportunity here. In fact, I was listening to a podcast the other day where because of a rules violation of some kind, one of the teams in the league had to drop um, James Paxton of the Yankees. He he was he wasn't forced to drop him. The league ma- took him off his roster because he didn't activate him in time or something like that. And all of a sudden, there's James Paxton floating around in a free agent pool in a in an AL, an AL only league. Can you imagine? And the guy who got him, the fellow who was talking on the podcast, said he was the only guy who bid. Nobody else even noticed. Yes, that can happen. It, it can sure happen. So it pays to keep up. Oh, by the way, Zach Gallen was featured on our Frequent Flyer commentary on May 17th of this year. Uh, Alex Becky does a great job identifying those guys. He was also the guy who, who noticed Oscar Mercado and uh, Jordan uh, Alvarez in down in Houston. So, uh, yeah, pay attention to those Frequent Flyer commentaries. He's picking out some really great guys. Uh, in Chicago, the starting pitcher Kyle Hendricks underwent medical testing, which revealed he has an impingement in his right shoulder. Nick, I didn't know what impingement meant, so I went to medicaldictionary.com and I found out that it's a compression of a nerve or blood vessel through a constricted space, so all that stuff's passing through a limited space in the rotator cuff area. And then I looked at WebMD, and it says... Persistent pain, it affects everyday activities, especially overhand type activities, and takes typically six to eight weeks of anti-inflammatory treatment to clear up and no usage, although they sometimes use cortisone injections as well. So right now it's unclear if Hendrix is going to be back before the All-Star break. I would have to say, based on what WebMD said, probably not. Uh, Tom Kephart covered the story for Playing Time today at BaseballHQ.com. What do we think is going on with Hendricks and especially in the Cubs rotation? Well, it, it's really hard to tell what's going on with Hendricks at this point, but it could be something, as you said, something that, that 
will keep him out for a for an extended period of time. Um, control challenge right-handed pitcher Tyler Chatwood has been named as his rotation replacement. Uh, Chatwood has consistently had subpar control and command, and that makes him a whip liability in virtually every format. His current uh, and historic XERA also portend difficulty ahead. Uh, Hendricks had displayed con- career best control and command before being sidelined. Um, control down to 1.6 walks per nine innings, command to 4.7 strikeouts per walk. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a real danger here that the impingement can lead to inflammation, as you've said, and, and bursa problems, and uh, the rotator cuff can eventually start to thin and tear. Yeah, I think they're going to have to treat this with kid gloves. And when I looked at the depth chart in uh, Chicago at BaseballHQ.com, they have Quintana, Hamels, Lester, Darvish. Okay, there's your first four guys. And Hendricks was actually on the roster as the fifth guy, and we've cut his uh, projection back from 12 or 13% of the starts back to 8 because of this injury, and Chatwood moves up to about 7%. I wonder, Nick, when I look at this team, the thing that really jumps out at me is they have a heck of a bullpen. And I wonder, do you think there's a possibility that we might see Chicago doing bullpen days and openers and those kind of tricks? Sure, I think that's very possible. I mean, a lot of, a lot of teams are doing it. Chicago is trying, trying to stay in contention. And so uh, I think it's very possible that they could begin do, doing bullpen days and, and dealing in that sort of way. Uh, you know, something that just, just occurred to me as we're, as we're talking here this situation is very different from the Lopez Gallon situation. In that situation, you've got a team that's not going to contend, that in fact has people trouble getting people into the ballpark, and bringing up a Zach Gallon and resting a Pablo Lopez for ten days, that may be a uh, a thing that brings people into the ballpark as much as anything, and certainly makes it uh, makes the the team have some positive press. On the other hand, this situation with Hendricks, having to replace him with someone like Tyler Chatwood who really is a, uh, a subpar starter. Uh, th- this, is, this is a serious injury situation, or Hendricks would not be headed to the DL. Yeah, I agree, and I think now we have to be very cognizant of the possibility that the uh, Cubs will be in the trade market. There's a fairly large number of decent starters that are allegedly floating around out there in both leagues, uh, so I think this is something else, as you said before. This is something we have to watch real carefully, because uh, especially if... If uh, Hendricks is out longer than we expect, or even as long as we expect, and Chicago's in a battle for that playoff spot, they may decide that they have to do something. Uh, Updating a previous report, Nick, uh, the Mets have shut down outfielder Brandon Nimmo. They're saying he can't do any baseball activities for at least the next month. He's got some kind of issue going on with his neck. Mickey Calloway, the manager, said they're still not talking about surgery, but I read news reports saying that Nimmo had been in Los Angeles at a doctor trying to get a second opinion on this neck stiffness. Uh, what are the ramifications for the Mets, assuming Nimmo is out indefinitely as the uh, fear is? Well, the reports are not very promising. It now seems unlikely he'll see any action before August, and even that return date seems kind of shaky. And with Nimmo out, the main playing time beneficiary may be J.D. Davis, who has a 286 expected batting average, 104 PX for the season. He's been even better over his last 74 at-bats, a 301 Expected batting average, 113 PX. Uh, but the problem is Davis' defense has not been very good, uh, and that would weaken the chances of getting even more playing time. Yeah, you know, I'm very suspicious about these kind of stats where they say over his last 74 at-bats, he's been really good. Hey, over 74 at-bats, anybody can be really good. You know, the variation over that small of a sample is a little bit... Um, 
a little bit short for me to be confident about saying, oh, J.D. Davis has a great set last 74 at-bats. I'm going to sign him up. I don't think so because the next 74 could be the, you know, the opposite that evens things out. I don't know. Our analyst, uh, Phil Hertz, again, giving 95% playing time to Michael Conforto. That makes sense. The rest divided up amongst a bunch of guys. Uh, Jeff McNeil was 60%, 35% for Dominic Smith. And then we have 30% or less to Davis, Juan Lagares, Carlos Gomez. We're giving 20% to Nimmo for now because I guess they're assuming he's coming back. Nick, not a lot here after Conforto and McNeil. I No, you're right. There's not a lot there after Conforto and McNeil. I'm kind of keeping an eye on Dominic Smith. He's been having a very good season since he's moved to the outfield uh, and has been, been hitting very, very well. So there's a guy to keep your eye on perhaps. But beyond that, uh, I certainly not a whole lot that's worth uh, uh, fantasy attention. Yeah, Dominic Smith's been one of those guys. We've talked about him on the show here over the years. Uh, you know, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Right now, he's hitting 344. Uh, expected batting average, not quite in that ballpark, of course. But uh, maybe, you know, sometimes these guys, baseball's hard. And uh, as a young player, maybe he was a little overmatched. He gets a little more confident, a little more mature, and things change. Uh, in Milwaukee, the Brewers activated right-hander Julius Chassin from the 10-day injured list and optioned right, a relief pitcher Jacob Barnes to AAA. Tom Kephart once more on this story. What happens in the rotation in Milwaukee now that Chassin is back? Uh, Chassin replaces Freddie Peralta from the rotation. Peralta relegated to a long relief role. Uh, Peralta has shown very strong skills and indicators of 139 BPV, 13% swinging strike rate, 63% first pitch strike. But he has failed to keep the ball in the park at 1.9 home runs per nine, and that doesn't work well, especially if you're uh, if you're pitching in, in a ballpark that allows a lot of home runs. And so... Um, he's been undermined by a heavy 27% line drive rate and an inflated 39% hit rate. So Peralta has been struggling. Yeah, on the other hand, the inflated hit rate, we would, we would expect to come back down into you know, something a little more normal. But if he's giving up that many line drives, then a, an inflated hit rate is to be expected. Right, very definitely. I mean, a, a line drive rate at that level is going to keep the hit rate up. Meanwhile, though, uh, Chassin was not exactly the second coming of Pete Vukovic in Milwaukee either. No, he struggled before being sidelined, showing uh, really subpar skills through 12 starts over 58 innings, 13 BPV, 5.55 expected earned run average. Uh, that doesn't show much upside over his uh, current 5.74 earned run average. So uh, we wouldn't expect him to be getting getting uh, good real very quickly. Uh, and it's really unclear how long he'll keep a starting role if he's as ineffective once again, as he was before he uh, he was on the injured list. Again, something to take a look at too, because of the uh, the Milwaukee's obviously got playoff aspirations. Uh, and when I look at Chulis Chassin, Nick, the thing that jumped out at me was his command rate: one point six strikeouts to walk. And nowadays, we are kind of looking as a baseline to get 2.6, 2.7, something like that. And this guy's giving up one full walk more than that for every strikeout. That doesn't augur well. No, it does not at all. I mean, I, I, a, a command rate like that is really very scary in today's, in today's game. In San Diego, uh, they called up left-handed pitching prospect Logan Allen from AAA and designated right-hander Kazuhisa Makita in the corresponding move. Uh, Logan Allen, another big prospect name. What should we expect? Well, no projection changes here. We've been anticipating this for a few weeks, and uh, this week's pitching blowout at Coors Field was really the tipping point. 
Uh, and so Allen's a very interesting back of the rotation candidate who could get a few more chances uh, in San Diego. He was given an 8B rating by Baseball HQ scouting analysts. Uh, 8 means he's got a solid rotation uh, ceiling, a good chance of achieving that level, that B rating. Uh, what did they say about him in particular in his call-up report this week? Uh, it said he's a top 10 prospect in the San Diego system, and it's a system loaded with prospects, so he really is a good one. He's 22, repeating AAA this year. Uh, seen a jump in his home run rate, but otherwise his skill numbers improved over the uh, 27.2 innings he pitched uh, in 2018 at AAA. Uh, two ugly starts to open the season, but settled down and had a 3.76 ERA in his other 11 starts. Uh, for his minor league career, batters have hit only 229 against him. Uh, 6'3", 200-pounder, has three pitches, a low 90s fastball that plays up with late life out of a three-quarter arm slot, a plus changeup that he throws with deception off the fastball, a mid-80s slider that right now is rated just average, uh, he gets strikeouts, uh, but not so much by outright dominance as by very smart pitching. Uh, and smart pitching is something that certainly plays up to me. And he knows how to mix his pitches up. Uh, he's, he's trying to outthink the batters and seems to be able to do it. That's a good thing. Um, he's durable, has the makings of a solid back of the rotation starter. He might go back down, of course, and after 85 innings at AAA, it wouldn't hurt him to get a more, bit more development. Uh, he's only 22, so there's no need to rush him at this point. Yeah, Logan Allen looks like one of those guys that I don't know how useful he's going to be in the immediate future. I guess he could be terrific, and, and it uh, certainly has the prospect pedigree to make that work. Uh, he had a 144 whip in uh, AAA, which makes me a little bit concerned that maybe he might not quite be ready. He was getting uh, around 10 strikeouts, and that, that number typically falls by, what, about 20 25% when a guy makes the jump to the major leagues. So I don't know that we can expect the moon off of Logan Allen, but if I was in a dynasty league, I'd be taking a real close look. Yeah, I think very definitely. And had, had a good first start. Uh, they'll get in some attention. Seven innings pitch, nowhere in runs. So uh, uh, definitely worth looking at a dining league. We're talking about a dynasty league. We're talking about a 22-year-old here who's uh, off to a good beginning. And finally, Nick, it seems like uh, every week or so we've managed to talk about Ryan Bloomfield's speculator column. Ryan's doing a terrific job looking at these 20% situations, the what-ifs, the what-might-bes, those kind of things. And in his most recent column, he looked at some recent players who are surging and fading. And one of the faders he brought up was an interesting name, St. Louis outfielder Jose Martinez, who has faded really quickly over the last month. What is Ryan Bloomfield saying about Jose Martinez and the fast fade? But, you know, on the surface, his uh, 286 batting average of four home runs and kind of part-time duty doesn't really raise a red flag. I mean, we say, okay, uh, I understand. But uh, Martinez started the year hitting 354 through his first 90-90 at bats. And while at that time we questioned whether that could be sustained in a fact fluke column, we didn't know the correction would be this bad. Over the last month, he's hitting 173 with some awful supporting skills. Uh, hard contact has completely dried up. Uh, 42 uh power index, 63 expected power index. Uh, playing time may be drying up too, as St. Louis has several outfield alternatives who aren't liabilities in the field like Martinez is. Uh, and that that's already restricts his playing time, and if he can't hit, it's restricted even more. So unless it's a very quick turnaround, and the skills don't seem to show that that's going to happen, Martinez may soon become totally fantasy irrelevant. 
You know what really jumped out at me is the slugging percentage. Now, I know June uh, is just one month. He's only got 24 at-bats in the month, and I just finished cautioning people about making huge leaps of inference based on these very small sample sizes. But, man, a slugging percentage of 292, that's that's like middle infielder uh, reserve type numbers. And it's really weird because it was 514 in April. And, again, the caution here, I think, Nick, is – all of these values might be within the normal range for Jose Martinez, given the fact that he doesn't play that much, he doesn't get that many at-bats, and if we think he's a, what, a sort of 770 OPS type guy, in any given month, that 770 is going to be 970 or it's going to be 570, and all of those things are normal for a guy who gets that few at-bats because of variation. Right, very definitely they are. You know, I had, uh, I, 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 had uh, Keeper League, had Jose Martinez, uh, and uh, he was one of the last ones that I decided to cut from my roster. Over the first month of the season, I regretted doing that, and now I'm certainly glad I did. And that's how it works, right? It's all a question of timing, and you can't time anything either. So it's Absolutely. it's a very frustrating thing. <laughs> all right, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out. We'll talk to you again in uh, seven days' time. All right, thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he covers the National League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Over we go to the American League, and with our regular reporter Jock Thompson away on a secret assignment somewhere in the South Pacific, it's a pleasure to welcome pinch hitter, Baseball HQ pitcher matchups analyst Greg Fishwick. Greg, hello. Glad to be here. Let's start with some good news in Cleveland. The team activated right-handed starter Mike Clevenger from the 10-day IL on Monday. Tom Kephart covered the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. First, Greg, what should we expect from Mike Clevenger now that he's back in the rotation? Well, we probably should start with a couple of reasons for a little bit of caution. The injury was an upper back strain, and it took 10 weeks to heal. We know pitchers put a lot of stress on their backs. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and others can attest to that. So it's not that easy to come back uh, quickly or completely. And uh, Clevenger also rolled his left ankle on his uh, second inning of work, but he stayed in, x-rays were negative, and he's on schedule to make his next start. So you're right, it's good news for Cleveland and for Clevenger's fantasy owners to have him back because he sure began the season on fire. He had back-to-back PQS dominant starts covering 12 scoreless innings with 22 strikeouts and only four walks which was a continuation of his breakout uh, from the season before, from 2018. When he went 200 innings, he had 207 strikeouts and only 67 walks. He put up a 302 ERA and a 116 whip, generated $22 in 5x5 earnings, and had a base performance value of 104. I know, and I saw him finally, uh, uh, when he started the season this year, Greg, I thought, man, Mike Clevenger could be en route to a Cy Young if he can keep this up. But 22 strikeouts and four walks is an amazing, uh, amazing short stretch. And I know we wouldn't have expected him to maintain a, a five or six to one strikeout to walk ratio, but he looked really sharp in those first two games. He did not, however, look really sharp in his first game back from the injured list on Monday. In Texas, he gave up five earned runs. He had three walks, just four and two-thirds innings pitched. Yeah, um, Clevenger was quoted after the game uh, saying his outing was a little bit erratic. Uh, and, and his line looks worse than it really was because he did hit 98 miles per hour. He had seven strikeouts. He gave up only three hits. And the last two of the five earned runs that were charged to him actually came after he kind of ran out of gas in the fifth inning. He walked a couple of guys. 
He was re- removed for Tyler Clippard, and then Clippard uh, let the first batter hit a double, and they both scored. That's one of the ways that when we look at these one-game results and you say, oh, you allowed X number of runs, a lot of times there's more to the story than that, isn't there? You know, we have to be careful about saying that, I mean, the, the earned runs go on Clevenger's book. We all understand that, and uh, that's the way it is. But in this instance, I don't think we can put 100% of the blame on him, and I don't think we can say, uh-oh, five earned runs. This was really a three-earned run performance plus those couple of stragglers and three earned runs in four innings. Still not good, but it sounds a lot better than more earned runs in innings pitched. Yeah, it's a good comeback. There's no doubt that Clevenger will resume his place in the rotation. We all knew that. Maybe we should have expected that there'd be some rust. His next start is at home against Detroit, and that's a nice matchup to get any pitcher back into the groove. Meanwhile, uh, what else is going on in the Cleveland rotation? Well, probably the biggest news is Corey Kluber being transferred to the 60-day injured list. Uh, There's no timetable for his return. He has that uh, forearm fracture in his right pitching arm. Uh, So he won't be able to come back till at least August. And his fill-in, Clevenger's fill-in, was uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez. He also hit the IL, and he's out indefinitely with a right shoulder impingement. So when he's ready to return... Uh, there may not be room for him because now the rotation reads Bauer, Clevenger, Bieber, Plutko, and Plezak. You know, I was talking to Harold Nichols just a, a few moments ago, and we were talking about another shoulder impingement, and what it is is the uh, a, a nerve or a blood vessel passing through a narrow area in the shoulder and it gets pinched and that's the source of all the pain. Mm. It can be real trouble because if it continues, there are possibilities for rotator cuff problems. You mentioned uh, Plesak. He's looked pretty impressive in his five starts. 2.56 ERA. His whip is still under one and he gets to pitch in the American League Central so he gets lots of starts against the weak offenses in Kansas City, Detroit, and Chicago. Is he a target? Well, I'd say he'd be worth considering in deeper leagues um, because he should remain in the rotation while Carlos Carrasco is out for what's expected to be a long while with a serious blood condition. But Plezak's uh, surface stats aren't really supporting uh, are supported by skills. His his dominance rate is just 7.4 strikeouts per nine, which is low in today's game. His hit rate is just 19% and his strand rate is up at 88%. So, you know, those two percentages are not uh, sustainable. Uh, And overall, his uh, expected ERA is uh, above 430, and his past two starts, it's been over five. So even though the competition in the AL Central is less than daunting, wins will still be hard to come by for Plezak because Cleveland ranks 22nd in run production, and they've only scored 11 more runs than they've allowed. And you mentioned a 19% hit rate, an 88% strand rate, and you call them both unsustainable. We're usually looking for something more like 30% hit rate, 70% strand rate. Is that right? That's the easy guideline. Another big returning from injury story in New York, where uh, Giancarlo Stanton was finally activated on Tuesday. Matt Dodge covering the story for playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. There must be ramifications here for a Yankees team that frankly didn't seem to miss Stanton all that much. Uh, What dominoes are going to fall here? Well, the first one to fall was uh, Mike Talkman, who was the actual um, uh, send-down for replacing, or losing his roster spot when Stanton came back. But the the real, um, I think, um, fantasy implication is the more surprising uh, Clint Frazier, 
who has actually performed well while he was up, but he had options remaining, so he too was sent down. And, and Matt Dodge noted also that Stanton may show some rust because in his 21 rehab at-bats, he struck out 10 times, but of course he also hit five home runs. He's a top-flight fantasy asset. The rest of the season, we have him projected for 21 home runs, around 50 each for runs and RBIs, a 265 batting average, and a 350-ish OBP. I'll be talking more about Clint Frazier a little later on in Master Notes. The Yankees also have Aaron Judge due back soon. I've heard sometime near the end of the week, maybe on the weekend. And they recently acquired Edwin Encarnacion in trade. So what's going to happen with all of these player moves to the Yankees playing time situation? It's starting to get crowded now. The The first game that Stanton came back, he batted fifth and played right field. But a GM Brian Cashman said he expects Stanton will switch to left field when Judge returns because Judge will go into right field. And uh, Judge told reporters he's 100% recovered. And manager Aaron Boone, in a recent interview, strongly hinted that Judge may be back by Friday. Uh, Incarnacion will be the everyday DH. Aaron Hicks, of course, has already returned to center field. So that leaves Brett Gardner as the fourth outfielder. But Boone said that all three of the starting outfielders will be getting a day or two off per week. And unless the Yankees are facing a lot of lefties, we should expect Gardner to play a little more than the typical uh, fourth outfielder. Uh, the Yankees' moves also mean Cameron Mabin gets pushed back to the fifth outfield mm-hmm. role, and Clint Frazier, as we said, gets pushed even farther back all the way to Scranton Wilkesbury in Pennsylvania <laughs> in AAA. Uh, moving on in Texas, the Rangers placed outfielder Hunter Pence on the 10 day IL earlier this week with a right groin strain. Pence was having a good year. They activated outfielder Willie Calhoun, which is good news for me. I have him on my tout team. He was on the injured list with a quad, and uh, Pence's rebound, one of the really remarkable stories of the first half, Greg, but it's going to be derailed for now. Uh, Rod Truesdell covers the Rangers for playing time today. What happens now in Texas with all of these uh, shenanigans? Well, we sort of expected Pence uh, would not be able to maintain either his performance level or his playing time. Uh, And on our Big Hurt injury column, Matt Cederholm wrote that Pence could be out until after the All-Star break, and then he'll still face a risk of recurrence after that. So you're right, the big winner here is Calhoun. Uh, He's been red hot in 30 at-bats since he was first called up. He's had three home runs. His hard contact index was 167. That's 67% higher than the league average. And his contact and eye skills uh, set him up to be a solid power source for the second half, though uh, he'll be squeezed himself when Joey Gallo returns, which could be any day now, I guess. I was watching a couple of Rangers games after Calhoun got reactivated, and uh, I'm telling you what, Greg, this guy can hit the ball hard. He hit a ball mm. so hard to center field that it should have cleared the fence, but it had so much topspin that it actually dove down like a Rafael Nadal uh, shot on the clay court. You know, it just dived down and hit the wall about halfway up. Yeah, he can really smoke the ball. And I wonder if, do you think that Texas is being somewhat surprisingly competitive? Is there any chance that if they fall off the pace, they're going to start looking at either getting rid of by trade or putting guys on the bench like uh, Shinsu Chu, uh, we talked about Pence, these older guys who probably don't have a role to play in the next good Texas Rangers team, and could there be a path for Calhoun in that situation? Oh, I think, yeah. I I, I think that uh, Texas could get rid of some of those guys uh, anyway, the, the older guys. Um, 
and you can imagine a lot of contending teams wanting, uh, you know, the quote unquote professional hitter like Chu, uh, somebody that can spark the team and come through in, in the pressure pack situations. And that'll give, uh, as you say, more playing time to some of the youngsters uh, in the Rangers. Yeah, I think Mazar is probably locked into a playing a playing time spot. He's not going to lose much time. He's still young enough and and a big part of their future, I think. But there's some guys out in the out there who are not going to play as much, I believe, and I certainly hope that I'm right because, as I said, I have Calhoun and it would really help. Uh, and speaking of being red hot, how about Minnesota? Uh, but they got some bad news. They had to send outfielder Byron Buxton to the IL earlier this week with a bruised right wrist. He was hit by a pitch. Byron Buxton having one of those breakout seasons we've all been waiting for, for it seems like since he came up the very first time. So how big of a blow is this going to be to the surging twins? Uh, it's Buxton's going to be hard to replace uh, for, for both the twins and for fantasy owners. Uh, he seems to be in the midst of an offensive breakout. He's hitting 266 with nine home runs, 10 steals in 207 at-bats. Uh, and of course, he's a sensational defensive center fielder. And the Twins have some fly ball oriented pitchers like Jake Odorizzi. So he's valuable there too. And uh, the Twins have sounded kind of optimistic from, from the first here, saying that he's improving and it should be a short stint on the injured list. Um, and he's, re- he's eligible to return June 25. But in the big hurt, Matt Cederholm warns that regaining wrist strength can take longer than expected. Nine homers and 10 stolen bases in 200 at-bats. That's kind of like a, a, almost a, um, what, a 25-35 kind of season if he played full out and got that same rate. And, and that's one of his problems. He does play full out and he runs into the wall and, and just about everything else, man. He's, he's fun to watch. Terrific player and is a lot of fun to watch, and it was nice to see his breakout. Uh, meanwhile, he's going to be on the fence for a while. Marwin Gonzalez should have seen more time. He's on the injured list, so who's going to get the playing time here? Yeah, that's kind of a tough spot for the Twins because Gonzalez would have been the, you know, the the preferred fill-in. Uh, but the Twins did recall Jake Cave from AAA, uh, and he'll get a crack at it. He batted two sixty nine for Minnesota in 2018, but he hasn't matched that in 2019. He hit only two twenty with no home runs in 41 at-bats. But then when he went to AAA, he might have found his stroke. Uh, he hit three twenty one. He had five home runs and 25 RBIs and 134 at-bats. And in 16 games this June, he has an 1194 OPS with three home runs, nine doubles, and two triples. Well, that's certainly getting the job done. Is Jake Cave worth a pickup in mixed leagues? Uh, he could be because he, he, he might uh, have a, a spot, but I think it'd be a short-term kind of a thing. If, if the reports are right that uh, Buxton should be back soon, and uh, assuming it's no worse than than the initial reports, uh, I don't think Cave is is going to be up long. Yeah, I think so too. The, the uh, I saw a story online somewhere today that said the Twins outfield is among the most productive in the last twenty years or something like that. When you Ooh. combine Rosario, Buxton, and uh, and Max Kepler, it's going to be very tough for a guy like Jay Cave to break into that trio, even if they do need a day <laughs> off now and then. Especially when Marwin gets back, because he can you know take up the slack here and there when a guy needs a day off. He's kind of an old reliable. Well, Greg, thanks very much for filling in for Jock Thompson. I do appreciate it. Uh, you're going to have your uh, pitcher matchups report a little later in the show. Who's the marquee? Uh, looks like we're going to look at uh, Cole Hamels and uh, Jake DeGrom. That's on Sunday, I believe, in uh, in Chicago. Correct. 
Well, that'll be a dandy, and uh, I know you'll have that match up and a couple of others as well, so we'll look forward to hearing that. Uh, thanks again for helping us out. We'll talk to you again soon. Happy to do it. Be back then. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and Baseball HQ Radio, and he's our man on the American League beat for Baseball HQ Radio this week. He'll be back later with his weekend pitcher matchups report. When we return, it's part two of our feature expert interview with Nando DeFino, fantasy editor for The Athletic, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Let me take a minute here to bang your ear holes about one of my favorite topics, international tariffs and trade. Ah, just kidding. I want to bring you up to speed on First Pitch Arizona, Baseball HQ's Fantasy Baseball Symposium at the Arizona Fall League. First Pitch is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year with a new hotel and new dates, but with the same extraordinary package of baseball, presentations, baseball, expert panel sessions, baseball, workshops, baseball, drafts, baseball, and one other thing. Oh yeah, baseball. I've been to First Pitch Arizona maybe a dozen times, and I can tell you firsthand there's absolutely nothing like it for the dedicated fantasy baseball owner. Of course, the main drawing card is the formal sessions, panel discussions and expert presentations by some of the brightest minds in the fantasy baseball industry, as well as guys like me. But the real fun is after the presentations are over, and you can approach these experts, hit them up for advice, talk about strategy, discuss the prospects you're seeing every afternoon in the Arizona Fall League games. Hey, you can even offer to buy me, I mean them, a beer or two. Or more, you know, who am I to stand in the way of hospitality? The fun at first pitch always continues in the evenings, and this year there's the added spice of Major League Playoff games. There's nothing like watching playoff baseball on the big screen and talking baseball with a bunch of other fantasy owners just like you. I've met a ton of people at First Pitch Arizona who are still among my closest friends. Now you'll want to start thinking about this and getting out your calendar pretty quickly because this year's First Pitch Arizona Symposium takes place earlier than ever. It's usually been around Halloween, but this year it runs from October 10th through the 13th, and it's at a new conference venue, the beautiful Delta Phoenix Mesa, a one-relay throw from Ho-Ho-Cam Stadium and less than half an hour from Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. We even have a special conference hotel rate, and when I checked it was at least $40 cheaper than the best online prices, and that's in Canadian money. If you're a fantasy owner who takes the game seriously and who likes to have fun, there's no better way to spend a long weekend than at First Pitch Arizona, October 10th to the 13th in Mesa, Arizona. Find out more by going to BaseballHQ.com slash first-pitch-arizona or just go to the HQ homepage and click on the bright orange logo over there on the right just underneath the HQ radio logo. Check it out. Get in early to take advantage of some early bird discounts. It's First Pitch Arizona. It's October 10th to 13th. We'll see you there. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Nando DeFino, the fantasy editor for The Athletic. Nando, welcome back. Uh, thank you for having me back <laughs> after all that. You have a weekly podcast yourself called Under the Radar with Ian Kahn and Derek Van Riper. What's the theme of the podcast? Um, that's right. It's, it's basically all these players who you might not have heard of yet who are kind of, I guess, flying under the radar, <laughs> using the name when I say it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just these, these kind of lesser-known players who you know maybe have 10% ownership in CBS leagues or maybe even less than that. Um, I constantly want to go deeper, and they kind of pull me back up a little bit because... Not everyone's a psycho, I guess, like me. But uh, yeah, that's a theme. Just players you might not have heard of yet who have some upside. 
Or, or maybe don't. Or maybe we just kind of say, you know, stay away. If he's you know, someone who's being most added, uh, this isn't worth it. But, you know, and, and instead consider, you know, player Y. But it's basically the, those kind of cool players who you might be hearing more about in the next two to three weeks, basically. I think identifying and rostering those under-the-radar players is becoming one of the most important things that we can do as as fantasy league owners. It's really getting popular in our tout league. Uh, Kevin Biggio, Oscar Mercado, and Jordan Alvarez were all fabbed in our league way before they were actually called up. You can get them for a dollar or two. I think Alvarez went for nine. And then you wait a couple of weeks and then you call them up and you've got a real good cheap player. In general, what are you looking for in these under-the-radar speculative players? Um, well, I can, my exact process is, is kind of easy. It's, uh, you know, I'll go to the, the – well, if, if they're in the majors right now, I'll go to the baseball reference page. I'll look at their minor league stats, and I'll start there. And if they were good in the minor leagues, the first thing I look at is batting average. Um, you know, if they fall within that 280 to 310 range over the course of their career, you know, I'll shimmy over to the left side and take a look at their home runs. Um, you know, and how many of the hit per at bat, that kind of stuff. Did they progress over the few years? Um, and then, you know, if they got some steals, it's, it's, I know this sounds very simplistic, but it's worked. So, you know, if a guy's consistently hit well and his, his, you know, minor league ERA, let's say is, is sub three and his whip is, you know, sub 1.13 and the K per nine is above nine, I'll just start digging more. That's, that's basically my first phase. And then I'll go dig more, and you know I'll I'll take a look at what he did in certain seasons. I'll Google search him. I'll see what happened. I'll see if he's on any sickles lists or anything like that. Um, that's the process. And then if you know he passes muster, like Nestor Cortez, we talked about a couple weeks ago. He kind of passed that test. Um, we did a whole show last week where, and this is another thing that I that I like to do. I'm in, I'm in score sheet leagues, and we have these two round score sheet drafts every month. Um, and you know, if there's no one that jumps out at me. I'll just I'll go to milb.com and I'll go to league leaders and I'll sort by you know OPS and I'll take a look and oftentimes there are some names there that I did not ever know about or didn't exist or had never considered um, and then I'll just start digging more into them and you know dig more dig more dig more until there's someone who pops up who um, you know I, I've fallen in love with and then I become obsessive and I take him in score sheet and um, you know more often than not something actually happens and is a helpful player. So it works out. It's a, I know it's kind of a juvenile process, but that's just the beginning of it all. You know, as you dig and dig and research and read and learn more, um, it gets very interesting. You, you kind of, you know, you start these, these guys mean something to you, especially in keeper leagues where you kind of uncovered this dude who no one else was on and he turns into something and now other people are showering love upon him. Well, that's how I felt when I grabbed Oscar Mercado, and that was based on a combination of, I look at MILB.com too once in a while, and he just looked like he was playing well, and I thought, hey, Cleveland, there's a path to playing time here. Cleveland's outfield was, I think at the time, had a had an aggregate OPS of like 600 or something like that. And I, you know, it's not like you're blocked by Michael Brantley anymore. It's it, it's like you're blocked by nobody. You're Tyler Naquin or something like that. They can Well, Greg Allen, Greg Allen happened to be another Tout Wars AL member. Uh, who <laughs> didn't quite pan out for me. That's what, that, I could never get on Mercado because I had Greg Allen. I'm like, oh, I believe in Greg Allen. Right. Yeah, that, that backfired. And th- th- those are the kind of guys who can really move you in leagues, especially, I think, a guy like Mercado who wasn't a top value prospect. I mentioned Jordan Alvarez. He was picked up in our league by uh, Rob Liebowitz and uh, 
Colton and Wolf picked up Kevin Biggio, but these guys were fairly well-known prospects. It was a smart play to get them ahead of time, I, I grant you, especially Alvarez, who looked blocked. But all of these kind of guys, if you move soon enough, can help you. Of course, a lot depends on your league rules. Uh, in tout, we can draft anybody we like pretty much. We just have to carry them for a week and then before we can reserve them. But sometimes that's a play to make. Uh, you mentioned that edition of your pod. Uh, I noticed that you compared a couple of pitching prospect call-ups who were uh, in the news, shall we say, Corbin Martin of Houston kind of versus John Duplantier of Arizona. What were the takeaways from that discussion that you had with Ian and with the Derek? Well, we were looking at Corbin Martin. Uh, it actually sprung from me spending 355 fab dollars on him. And um, actually, our Houston writer in one of those beat writer roundups was saying, we asked him, like, who's that? We asked basically every team, like, who's this under-the-radar sleeper that you have? Um, and this is just for a written column. And uh, Jake Kaplan, who's our Houston guy, said, Corbin Martin, and this is back in February, I think. You know, Corbin Martin, they like his spin. They, they, they like his makeup. He could be like this, you know, Forrest Whitley's the big name. But Corbin Martin might actually, uh, I think he said might actually turn out to be maybe just as good, maybe better. Anyway, so I'm like, oh, Corbin, all right, let me get Corbin Martin. He's here. He'll be for real. It's not one of those uh, <laughs> one of those debuts where he has this amazing start and then falls apart. Um, and then obviously that's exactly what happened. And, you know, he went back down and his first start was not good. Um, so it was just kind of off Corbin Martin a little bit. Duplantier, meanwhile, had these amazing minor league stats Everything pointing his way, except he always got hurt. And so we kind of just landed on Duplantier's better, but let's wait and see what Corbin Martin does with his next few starts. Um, and, you know, the second one when he came back, I think, which was last week, I think he's actually due again to pitch today, but also not as good. So when that stuff starts happening, I just assume he's hurt, and I don't even know what to do with him on my team. He's still sitting on my bench. I don't know how much longer he's going to last there. But that that was kind of how we ended it up. We talk it out. Um, you know, there are three of us, so... And, and I'm sure you've done this before, too. When someone else is talking, you can kind of start looking up the stats and then chime in. Um, but we try, we try to get the rundowns to everybody so they can have their stats ready to go and their opinions formed. And, and then we just kind of talk it out. So, unfortunately, Duplantier is hurt now. Martin's in the minors. It's <laughs> kind of blew up in our faces. But, um, yeah, we do, we do stuff like that before before you hear about them, I guess. And I think they... Uh the takeaway for me and the reason that these kind of things are valuable isn't that at some point the guy in the podcast, whether it's you or me or, or Derek or Ian or any of the smart guys that we hear, it's the listening to the discussion gives us insight into how to make those decisions. You know, that whole teach a guy to fish sort of situation. You guys also discussed San Diego pitching prospect, Cal Quantrill. Uh, What did you guys decide about him? Um, well, you know, it was, it was actually Michael Salfino wrote an article about Cal, Con- uh, Cal Quantrill's the next Lucas Giolito. And I hadn't even, I haven't given Quantrill a second thought. Um, I just assumed that he would be the odd man out with, you know, I love Lauer, I love Lucchese. And like, you go all the way up and down, all the way down to Logan Allen, and it's kind of like, all right, well, there's nowhere for Quantrill to be. Um, so we basically read through Salfino's article, and the points he made were really good. Um, he compares favorably to Giolito. If if you look at some certain stats, you know, like I think it was swinging strike rate, it was it was it was Fangraphs he kind of stats where he compares favorably, uh, and Selfino uses a lot of inside edge stuff. And inside edge, even though they don't have Quantrill, uh, it's not really a predictive stat. It's um, I can't think of it. It's a, there's a letter grade, and he didn't get a good one. It was C plus, whereas Giolito's an A, but you know that's not a predictive one. That's that's more of what they've done so far. Um, so we kind of ended up agreeing with Selfino that Cal Quantrill's maybe this kind of gem in the rough, 
that you might want to consider, you know, if not picking up, at least keeping an eye on. Um, that's kind of our, you know, the service we provide is here's a name just that can stick in your head. You don't have to, we're not telling you to go run and pick him up unless it's a very extreme circumstance in which we believe very hardcore that you should. Um, but like you said, it's, it's the process and it's a little bit of just, you know, having that name. So when something else good happens with that guy, you're like, oh, I, I don't have to waste any time looking him up. I know this now from listening and I'm going to go get him. Uh, Derek mentioned that Quantrill had been a number eight overall pick in the major league draft, and and he said that's a positive, you know. And somebody thought enough of this guy to draft him eighth overall, and they are overall pretty good at at identifying guys who deserve to be those top picks. At the same time, they do have track records, they do have numbers, they do have stats. How do you balance or calibrate actual performance in numbers versus those other kind of more narrative factors? Well, if so. If I take my process and I got a guy and he's amazing and I love all his numbers, um, you know, the digging is more, you know, does he only have two pitches instead of three and will that not translate into the majors? If it's the flip side and he's got these terrible numbers that don't make sense, um, then, I'll, like, then I'll go digging. Like I'll, I'll Google news archive search things to see if, you know, maybe he was hurt halfway through the year. You know, maybe he was hiding an injury. Um, you know, maybe the, the parent club was asking him to work on a new pitch. Um, I'll go crazy. Like I was, I got my master's in history. So all I do is research. I'm very good at it, I guess. Um, so I know how to kind of shave a lot of time off of looking for things like that. Um, and I just like doing it too. So that's, it's, it's basically if he doesn't pass muster with the numbers, but someone loves him and there's some case to be made where, you know, he's suddenly, you know, his entire career, he's got a 3.75 ERA in the minors. And all of a sudden this year, he's 1.70. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who was like that. Maybe like Zach Godley or uh, maybe even like a a younger Dallas Keuchel. Um, Then I'll go looking around and I'll see, you know, I'll run over to Fangraphs, see if he's throwing a pitch more than he he ever did. Um, I'll find some news articles that say he's, you know, he's throwing his cutter now. He learned a cutter. Um, You know, someone like Giolito had a Repsoto machine. All these dudes had Repsoto machines in the offseason. Like it seemed like every pitcher had a Repsoto machine. And I guess it's more of a question of, did they know how to use it properly or, you know, did they, did they learn something from it? But, uh, yeah, those little things like that, that, that could cause a breakthrough. Um, I'll go nuts reading about them and I'll just, you know, sometimes it's simple as a Google search and setting a date range, but other times you got to dig a little bit. And then other times actually Patrick, it's just a fluke and you're screwed. And, you know, the guy just had a good hot streak and then returns to form. So, you know, I'd say that happens about 20% of the time. Well, sure, and it is going to happen. They're human beings, after all. You mentioned uh, a Cincinnati first base prospect named Brian O'Grady, and the narrative factor here, ignoring his numbers and performance, is that he's blocked. They've got Joey Votto. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's very popular in Cincinnati. It would be tough for Cincinnati to uh, get rid of Joey Votto or move him aside or you know do something with him so that they could play Brian O'Grady, who's he as far as the fan base is concerned, but what's your take on how we should be looking at a guy like Brian O'Grady with, uh, with the block in front of him? You know, I've, uh, so I know this is like a half a Chandlerism, but uh, you know, I think if a guy has a skill, he has that skill. Um, and I've, I've talked myself out of getting guys before and just missing out on players because I'm like, well, he's blocked or, you know, he doesn't have the playing time or, you know, they're, he's going to be the number six pitcher and go to the bullpen. Uh, and, Lately, I'd say like the last five years, I've just stopped. I said, screw it. Like, you know, like I'm playing in more dynasty leagues anyway. I'm just going to get these guys who I know are good. Um, And look, the path to playing time for O'Grady could be a few things. You know, maybe number one, 
there's something wrong with Joey Votto this year. And I'm sorry, I know you as a Canadian, it hurts to hear, but uh, something something's off. Um, and I don't know what it is, and I don't know if it's permanent. Uh, so maybe he's masking an injury. I mean, he's hinted before that he's played through injury. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything like Joey Votto got a cortisone shot in the shoulder, but, you know, it's such a steep, crazy decline that I I don't know. I don't think it's age. I think there's, I think he's hurt. And so when he finally admits that he's hurt or something gets to the point where he can't play anymore, he, Domingo Hermans himself, um, that clears the path for Brian O'Grady. Or, you know, I doubt there's going to be a trade. I doubt Cincinnati's, I mean, they made their moves in the offseason. I guess they're not afraid to make big deals, but um, something could happen and Brian O'Grady could just end up somewhere else. Um, he could be a Rule 5. I mean, there, there are all these scenarios in which Brian O'Grady, who's very good, could end up with playing time. And the question I guess I kind of keep asking myself is, do I want to take like this spot that could be used for you know a two-start pitcher and dedicate it to O'Grady? Is my league deep enough where I can, I can do that? Um, or do I just kind of put him on a watch list and make sure no one else picks up on him and the second I see like that flag go up, you know, that Cincinnati's thinking about making trades or that Joey Votto missed two games in a row, then I got to run and grab him. So it's kind of like grab now and sacrifice something else or worry that someone else is going to be on him. You know, I got guys in leagues when, they, when Roto World reports that Brian O'Grady was called up. And, you know, if I'm asleep when that happens, um, I've, lost this guy, I've lost this guy who I've been touting for, you know, three months. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird situation to be in, but I do think if a guy has a skill, more often than not, I'm going to go and try and get him. I thought that was an interesting point that you made. I think Ian made it, actually, that the possibility of there being an organizational trade involving a player through a trade, and you mentioned the Rule 5 draft, how can owners better understand how players, especially these young, under-the-radar prospects, move between organizations and apply that knowledge profitably? Um, you know, roster resource actually tells you how many options a player has left and if he's on the 40 man or not, I guess that's the first place you start is if he's, if he's not on the 40, man. the problem is if the, a guy like O'Grady, I mean, all Cincinnati needs is one player to go on the 60 day IL and that opens up a spot to purchase his contract and he's, he's up in the, the club. Um, but try, trying to chase that, especially for rule five is tough, um, you know, follow Keith Law on Twitter, I guess. He's, he's been really good with that kind of Rule 5 stuff. I associate him with that. Um, besides that, it's just, it's. I mean, you really got to get deep and you really got to dig in uh, to just kind of figure out, A, you know, is the guy going to be, look, um, Elysio Hernandez on the Marlins, Rule 5 guy who came from Houston and probably came too early and he got stuck on a 25-man roster and you know, put in these spots where you're, you're not ready for that. You're too young. You're not good enough yet. And I think now he's finally coming into his own. And actually, he's a dude who his numbers didn't add up perfectly. Like, his minor league numbers were all over the place. And this se- this season, all of a sudden, he's, you know, sub-2 ERA, and he was amazing in the PCL. Um, so I dug deep, and I'm like, oh, this guy was a Rule 5, and that kind of messes with someone, and it maybe takes a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, you can – I think it's easier to track it after than before because, you know, A, you've got to figure out who's going to be eligible. B, you've got to figure out, is a team going to – they can just pass. They can just be like, all right, we don't want this pick. Um, they can make a trade. They can, you know, Josh Hamilton was a traded Rule 5 pick. So there, there are all these different ways you can go about it. Um, but, that, I mean, trying to, trying to figure out who could, who could shift a team on Rule 5 would be, um, I would classify that as a little too deep for my, for my research. I'm, I'm already in football mode by then anyway. 
You guys also discussed Yadiel Hernandez. He's an outfielder in the Washington system, a Cuban import. Last time I checked, he was sporting an OPS right around 1,100 in AAA, and he's walking just about as often as he's striking out. How excited should we be about Yadiel Hernandez, and do you see a path for him this year? Yeah, well, I think the path is Adam Eaton gets traded. Or, or you know, someone gets hurt. But I, like, I hope this isn't one of those things where I don't understand why the organization isn't calling him up. Um, I dug through his stats. First of all, he, he came from Cuba, so he's a little older, a little more mature, but he's played at a higher level uh, when he was playing in Cuba for a while. Um, he's amazing. His, it's, this isn't just like a fluke that came out of nowhere. He was good last year. He's kind of kind of built up his numbers to where they are. Um, I, like I'm kind of sweating the score sheet draft we're in right now because I want to get him. He's a recent discovery. He, he came from going through the MILB.com stats and sorting by leaders. And, you know, for... For the last couple of years, I've been kind of like, you know, after you get past Soto and Robles um, and Kiboom, the, you know, the the Washington minor leagues, especially for a fantasy player, it's not exciting. Like, there's not that guy you want to own in the Washington system. Um, and he just kind of, just like, you know, like a flower in concrete, he just kind of popped up. And I, like, I don't know. I feel like I have this secret that no one else knows about. No one's talking about him. He's not on any lists. He's just this guy who's hammering the ball. And um, he's only kind of quasi-blocked. If Washington keeps losing and they trade away Adam Eaton, uh, I think he could come up and just do some damage. He's not an immature player. He's 31 years old. He could, he could just come up and start hammering the ball. And I hope I'm not crazy, and I hope that something happens where he can get up there because he can't do any more in, in the minors. Finally, you mentioned Logan Allen in San Diego. Uh, uh, Lauer and Quantrill have been pretty good lately. Uh, Chris Paddock just got recalled. Uh, where's Logan Allen's path? I, that I don't know. I, I'm worried that it's going to be Lauer. But if you look at Lauer, like it's two games in Colorado we got hammered. Two games at Colorado. I think one was eight runs, and this recent one was six. Um, you know, in like three and like two innings. Everything else has been two earned runs, one earned run, one earned run, two. He's been very good if you take out these Colorado starts. And I'm okay. Do, I, don't, I usually hate doing that, but I'm okay doing that because it's at Colorado. And, um, you know, Al Melkier has been writing these stories about – I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep dropping our writers. I'm not trying to plug the athletic here at all. I'm just saying Al's been doing this stuff on air density and visual memory. And it's from a guy we met out in um, at the FSTA conference, FSGA conference, um, from Colorado, Clifton Neely is his name. And he's been doing this for about five or six years, and he's been tracking air density. Um, and, you know, it's not just going to Colorado. It's like if you're going from San Diego to Boston or if you're even going from, like, Milwaukee to Miami. Like, all these different stadiums are different sea levels, and they all have different air density, and they're in different parts of the country. And the balls move differently there, and the spin is different. And if you're a batter who's just come to town and you're facing this guy who has a lot of spin, you're not used to that yet. Um, and it, I'm fa- that's that's a short version of it. I'm fascinated by this entire thing. Um, and Al's been doing this great work on it, and he's actually picking up things and hitting on things that uh, we did, you know, were otherwise, I guess, kind of inexplicable and just kind of chalked up to, oh, that was just a good start. Um, so anyway, because of all that, I'm in love with Eric Lauer, and I'm okay and willing to give him a, a pass for Colorado because maybe that's just the way his pitches go. Like his pitches are just different in Colorado, and he gets affected more than anyone else by it. Um so I'm hoping it's not Lauer, but I have a bad feeling it is because I think Quantrill's a guy who that organization's been waiting for for a while, and he's going to stick if he has like any semblance of doing well. Um, Lucchese's awesome. So just by process of elimination, I'm worried that it's Eric Lauer. 
You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Nando DeFino from The Athletic, the fantasy managing editor there. And Nando, during the season, I like to ask our experts to talk about some players you think will be boons and banes for the rest of the fantasy season. As usual, we'll start with our boons. These are guys you think should interest our listeners in the American League. Who's a hitter you think could be a boon for the rest of the season? Uh, you know, weirdly, it's Tyler White. I have him on pretty much every single team of mine. Uh, and when, when Alvarez got called up, I was like, oh, crap. Here's, here's another one. And since he got called up, he started every game. And he's playing well. He's hitting over 300. His OPS is uh, over 1,000. Th- he has a home run. I think he has two. He has one in that little space. Um, a bunch of doubles. So I don't know why this is happening. I don't know how. It's, I know George Springer's coming back still, and there's going to be a roster crunch at some point. But Tyler White's finally getting that shot to play every day, and he's doing really well. And even if you extend it back you know, beyond the call-up, um, he's, he's actually been – 300 for I think maybe his past 15 games um anyway I don't know what's going to happen with the playing time when George Springer returns I'm hoping that Tyler White's done enough to kind of stay in the lineup and show that you know I've got to be playing every day if you play me every two days I can't get into a groove I can't get into a rhythm and there are a lot of players who are like that um so I'd like to throw out Tyler White you know he's got some risk <laughs> obviously involved with him but if it's a showcase and maybe he gets traded somewhere I don't know I just think he's a very, very good player uh, with a lot of power potential, and he's he can play a bunch of different positions if you ask him to, um, and there's upside there. So whether it's with Houston or not, if he can get those at-bats, I think Tyler White could have a very good second half. Yeah, what's a mystery to me is how they keep playing uh, Yuli Gurriel, 600 yeah, OPS. Yeah, you know, it's, I guess he's, maybe he's a better baseball player than a, than a fantasy player, but if it's at the – if it's – if it gets Tyler White more at bats, I'm with you, Patrick. No more Curiel. Well, I don't care how good a you know what a great teammate he is or anything like that. A 600 OPS is just not the kind of thing that a team with playoff aspirations needs to be uh, putting out there every day. Uh, over to the National League, who's a hitter who could be a boon? Um, you know, I, I'm going to carry a candle for this guy forever, but for me, it's Lewis Brinson. I you know, I think he you know third time maybe is a charm. But he uh, he's good. Like, he's got these skills, and I have no idea why they're not translating to the major leagues. But he's kind of, he was kind of down in the minors, and he, he's kind of 280, 290-ish. He was flirting with 300. His OBP is good. He walks a lot. I don't think people realize that about Brinson, that he's got a, he's got a good eye. He's got patience. Um, I think the power is legit. I think the stolen bases are legit. Um, although, I think someone had told me, and I can't remember who it is now, but he's a Miami guy who was telling me that he's not a good base runner and don't expect the steals. But I haven't seen that kind of happen yet. But I, I do think Lewis Brinson's going to get called back up. He's an excellent defender. Um, I think he had the number one range of all center fielders last year. Uh, so anyway, I've loved Lewis Brinson since the preseason. Um, I do think he's, the skill's still there. Uh, it's just probably just some, you know, some bad luck, some nerves, some overmatchedness. But I do think the stretch in the minors, instead of him going down and hitting like 220, and showing that he's completely lost, you know, to go down there and hit 290-ish and still maintain the power in the OBP. When he comes back up, I think he'll just continue that. Over to the mound in the American League, who's a pitcher who could be a boon? Uh, you know, I got him on Tout Wars. I fabbed him early. It's Nestor Cortez for me, I think. Uh, he kind of reminds me. He's got these Luis Severino kind of numbers in the minor leagues. And, you know, just unheralded. No one's talking about him. Uh, but, you know, granted, some of those were in the bullpen. Uh, but a good amount was as a starter. 
and I think he's going to be a bulk reliever going forward. I don't know if they're ever going to let him you know, start the games, but at this point, I don't think it matters. Uh, those bulk relievers, like the Yarbrough types, they get wins, and they get strikeouts, and they still pitch like a normal starter. Um, so, yeah, so I'm actually, and, you know, more shots at wins because they're, the five-inning thing isn't applying here. I think Nestor Cortez is going to stick in that rotation for a while um, and do good things. So I'll go with Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez is striking out 10 batters per nine innings and only walking a little bit over two, which is really good numbers. Those are the things that Baseball HQ starts by looking at is that strikeout-to-walk ratio. His is 4.4 for a guy his age is really, really something to pay attention to. Uh, National League pitcher who could be a boon? Uh, So... I figured I gave three obscure kind of low-owned ones. I still believe in you, Darvish. Um, you know, he, he had the blisters early on. I think that might have kind of contributed to the, the early, early struggles. I don't know what contributed to the rest of them. But I, like, I, I don't believe that he's this on this Daisuke Matsuzaka path of just starting to walk everybody out of nowhere. Um, I think he's still good. I think that whip is going to be near elite again by the time the dust settles on the year. He's on a, a bit of a nice run right now, but... Um, Look, just so the the opposite of what you just said, HQ likes to do uh, is you, Darvish, who's KDBB is not going to look good. But um, his K per nine, I like a lot. I, I think I just I think he's fixed, and I think he'll be fine. And um, I think the, the window is closing very quickly on someone being able to kind of procure him from a team that just sees him kind of like as a middle of the road four point one five high walk guy right now. So you, Darvish, I think he's going to be a boon in the second half. Nando DeFino's Boons, Tyler White of Houston, Lewis Brinson of Miami, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, Hugh Darvish of the Cubs. Let's move over to the Baines. Nando, these are guys about whom you think listeners should be cautious. Again, we'll start in the American League. Who's a Bane hitter? Uh, you know, I'm not very good with Baines, to be honest. I, I always <laughs> This is going to sound corny, but I like to see the good in everybody. Um, so this is a little tougher for me. I, I kind of zeroed in on Adalberto Mondesi. Um, I do think, like, Steals. I remember everyone was freaking out about steals back in February and March, and they don't exist, and no one has them. And I know he's on pace for 50, and he'll probably get there, but I think there are a lot more steals that you can kind of build a team with that you don't need that, that premium on a steals. Um, I think his batting average is higher than it should be. I think he's more of a 250 hitter. Um, I don't know if the power is going to hang. I just, I, like, I know everything is pointing to me being totally wrong about this, but if I've got Mondesi on my team, I'm trying to sell him right now. Uh, rather than buy or hold. Baseball HQ has a metric expected batting average based on skills, making contact, uh, walking, uh, hitting the ball hard, and so forth. Uh, his XBA, 241, so your 250 might even have been a little generous. So. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Thank you. This makes up for all the, the category talk earlier in the show. In the National League, who's a Bane hitter? Um, I, you know, I kind of landed on Pete Alonzo. And I love Pete Alonso, but like I've I've seen this kind of Mets show before, where the grind of just this uh, hopeless existence wears you down. Um, not so much the power. I think the batting average is going to go down. And it's weird. Like this is a thing where I love Pete Alonso. I have Pete Alonso, um, and I believe that Pete Alonso can keep that batting average up under normal circumstances. But just the circus that the Mets are, uh, I don't know, man. Like I'm I'm just. I'm off Pete Alonso, and I hate to do it. I'd love Pete Alonso in a dynasty league. I would buy, but I just think there's a downturn coming, and I think it's it's more of just like the, that grind of the Mets. 
Interestingly, his expected batting average at BaseballHQ.com is higher than what he's hitting right now, around 286. He's batting 271. So Baseball HQ sees some upside there. I don't know that I agree. I think I'm on your side, but an interesting call. Uh, over to the mound again, an American League pitcher you think could be a bane? Uh, I didn't know if this was okay, but I, I was thinking Luis Severino. I know there's a lot of people with a lot of hope that he's going to come back. And just this is based on like trade questions we've got and stuff I've seen on Twitter like, you know, my ex for his Severino. And every time, like, you know, do you, I don't think you want to inherit Severino. I don't think this is going to end well. Um, this is based on injury, not on skill, but I think the skill is going to be kind of diminished by the injury. Um, I could see a scenario where you don't see Severino for the rest of the year, where he doesn't come back. And it's not because, in my mind, I want Nestor Cortez to be on the Yankees forever. This is this is legitimate. Like, this, you know, we've read this story before, and it usually ends with the pitcher not coming back. I think it's interesting that uh, you know a guy whose league allows him to trade his ex. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I, I know a lot of guys who could uh, get into that for sure. Uh, in the <laughs> National League, who's a Bane pitcher? Uh, you know, I went with Dallas Keuchel. I, like, again, it, it's, it's more of a buzz thing. There, there's a lot of excitement for him. I know a lot of people were waiting for him, and they had him on benches. And, you know, when he, when he signed with Atlanta, everyone went nuts trying to pick him up. Um, Dallas Keuchel's had some bad seasons before. I, like I'm, I'm sure his arm is fine. He's a Boris guy. I'm sure you know the Boris Academy, and they've they've kept him in shape and they've kept him throwing and everything like that. Um, it's more of like uh, people are just forgetting these flaws that Dallas Keuchel had. Like, yeah, he's a former Cy Young Award winner, but he's also a former out of nowhere terrible season guy. You know, you, you know, you follow up a a great campaign of I don't know two point nine one. It's it, he's had some four ERAs in his past, and he's coming off a season with a with a plus three point five ERA. And I just think people are willing to kind of ignore that um, just to have the excitement of getting a guy who's been on your bench for three months come into pitch. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not on Keuchel. I, you know, he could be great. I just, I don't trust it. And I, I've seen too many ballooned ERAs. And this is a weird situation where I, I don't want anything to do with him. The thing that jumps out at me in the historical record is from his really terrific season, he had a 4.2 command ratio, strikeouts to walks, which is excellent. And then 3, then 2.7, then 2.6 last year. So that's heading in the wrong direction, mostly because he's not striking guys out. And uh, he's maintaining a pretty good uh, walk ratio around 2.6, 2.7 per nine, which is okay. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of Dallas Koichel, to be honest with you. And that's the problem. You know what you said? The, he's not a strikeout pitcher? And that one year, his Cy Young Award year, he was, strangely. Um, and I don't know where that came from or why it happened, but I, I, for some reason, I think people have it in their mind that Keuchel's even like a you know an 8.5K per nine guy, and he's not. You know, I, I haven't pegged more as like a 7K per nine guy. Um, so I don't know. I just think his value is too high, and people are kind of like, I feel like I'm the crazy one who's like, are you not seeing what I'm seeing here? Like, you're, you're praising this guy. Uh, and he's got he's got some serious red flags. Nando DeFino's Baines, Adalberto Mondesi of Kansas City, Pete Alonso of the Mets, Luis Severino of the Yankees, and Dallas Keuchel of Atlanta. Uh, geez, Nando, this has been great. Tell our listeners where they can keep up with you. Uh, well, uh, Nando DeFino on Twitter. Feel free to come find me. Um, you can go to the Athletic. You can just look up my name. Uh, you can Google me. You'll find me <laughs> several other places. But uh, pretty easy to reach. I have a weird name, so. Uh, even if you misspell it, I'm sure all paths will lead to the correct uh, housing of me. If you do want to spell it correctly, it's D-I-F-I-N-O. Uh, Nando is N-A-N-D-O. 
This has been terrific. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I haven't had you on before, but I'm glad we managed to make this breakthrough, and I hope I get a chance to talk with you again. It was great. Oh, anytime, Patrick. Uh, thanks for having me, man. It was very cool. Nando DeFino is the fantasy editor at The Athletic. When we come back, our baseball HQ commentaries, the frequent flyer, pitcher matchups, and master notes, all next on Baseball HQ Radio. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root. Root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. As I mentioned, Todd Zola is on the personal leave list doing some work at a university up in New Hampshire. So let's go straight to our regular HQ Radio commentaries. Coming up, we have weekend pitcher matchups and master notes. And leading off, it's our frequent flyer comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyer is Houston starting pitcher Jose Urquidy. And here to tell you more is baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Houston's Jose Luis Hernandez Urquidy has a lot of letters in his name, 24 of them to be exact, but surprisingly, not one of them is a K. But if you've been watching his career, or even his 2019 minor league performance, you would probably notice that K's seem to follow him wherever he goes. Take a look at 2019, where he's already gone through two levels of the minors. Beginning with 40 Ks at AA Corpus Christi in 33 innings, followed by another 48 Ks in 31 innings at AAA Round Rock. That adds up to 88 Ks and only 64 innings pitched. Not bad. In fact, Jose Urquidy's 2019 performance has been dominant thus far. How do we know? Jose Urquidy has already produced a dominance rate of 12.4 strikeouts per nine in 2019 where we at BaseballHQ.com believe that baseball's best pitchers will produce a dominance rate of 9 strikeouts per game or higher. Yet despite his dominant performance in 2019, Houston's starting rotation seems to be well supplied at present. That's why Jose Urquidy, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. Still through 75 games, the Houston Astros have only used seven starting pitchers, a number that is certain to increase with a K. Hint. Look at it this way. Jose Urquidy's 88 Ks would currently rank third in the Astros' rotation behind Garrett Cole with a K, and Justin Verlander, who well has no Ks as his name, but 148 Ks after his name, currently with a K. Kind of like Jose Urquidy. And while we're on the subject of K's, how about Jose Urquidy's command with a K? Hint. Just don't air a spelling contest with these K's. 
Jose Urquidy's career command ratio with several K's involved is over five, where we at BaseballHQ.com, well with a C because we don't want trouble, look for command ratios of three strikeouts to walks or higher, and Jose Urquidy's 5.5 strikeouts to walks certainly qualifies. See what we did there? All kidding aside, Houston's 24-year-old Jose Urquidy is having a great season. It could very well be your key to success as our frequent flyer for this week. Okay, for Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com with a C. See Jose Urquidy. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has our frequent flyer comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. And so far this year, he's picked out players like Oscar Mercado, who's doing well in Cleveland, and Jordan Alvarez, who's killing it in Houston. Check out the frequent flyer every week here on Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for our weekend pitcher matchups report, where we look at some of the notable games this weekend, starting with our marquee matchup, the Mets right-hander Jacob deGrom in the friendly confines of Wrigley Field on Sunday to face left-hander Cole Hamels. And here with the lowdowns on the showdowns is Baseball HQ analyst Greg Fishwick. We have three matchup ratings above 2.0 this weekend, topped by Justin Verlander's 225 for the Houston Astros in his start against the Yankees' reloaded lineup in New York on Sunday. The second-best matchup rating of 212 belongs to Jose Barrios, who heads into Kansas City on Sunday. We'll get back to Lance Lynn's third and final matchup rating over 2.0 when we highlight our marquee mismatch in a minute. But first, let's look at our marquee matchup in the friendly confines of Wrigley Field on Sunday. The Mets, 31-year-old right-hander Jacob deGrom brings in the sixth-best matchup rating of the weekend at 146. He's half of our marquee matchup because his is the top matchup rating to be paired with an opponent who also has a positive matchup rating. The Cubs counter DeGrom with 35-year-old left-hander Cole Hamels, who has a matchup rating of 063. With eight more starts, Hamels will have 14 consecutive seasons of 23 or more games started. This month, Hamels is working on a string of three straight peak U.S. dominant fives, including one in Colorado. His other two peak U.S. doms came back-to-back in mid-April. At home, Hamels has an average peak U.S. score of 3.6. In four June outings, Hamels has allowed only one earned run, thanks in part to a strand rate of 96% this month. In 15 games started and 92 innings pitched overall, Hamels has 91 strikeouts, 32 walks, a first pitch strike rate of 61%, a swing strike rate of 13%, an ERA of 285, an expected ERA of 374, a whip of 118, and a BPV of 106. Look for Hamels to acquit himself well against the Mets at home in Chicago this Sunday. DeGrom has three PQS dominant starts in his past four efforts. In 15 starts overall, he has eight PQS doms and four PQS disasters. On the road, DeGrom's average PQS score is 3.0. After a bit of bad luck in his first five starts, DeGrom has been lights out in his past 10 outings, allowing more than two earned runs only once. In 91 innings pitched overall, DeGrom has 112 strikeouts, only 20 walks, a first pitch strike rate of 64%, a swinging strike rate of 15%, an ERA of 326, an expected ERA of 327, a whip of 108, and a BPV of 166. Expect excellence from DeGrom in our marquee matchup versus the Cubs at Wrigley Field this Sunday. Now back to our marquee mismatch in Texas on Saturday, 
Lance Lynn comes in with that third matchup rating over two at 209 for his home start against the Chicago White Sox. The Southsiders send out right-hander Odrisimer Despagne, who has a matchup rating of minus 186. That's the second worst matchup rating of the weekend and makes for a matchup rating differential of 395 in favor of Lance Lynn and the Rangers. Lynn has been attracting a lot of notice this season for exceeding expectations. Let's remember that our expectations were, shall we say, somewhat modest, but let's also give him his due. The 32-year-old right-hander's calling card is consistency, and he's consistently good, not great, which can be quite useful for most fantasy teams. In 15 games started, Lynn has only three PQS disasters, and they all came within four starts between April 17 and May 4. He has four PQS decents and eight PQS dominance. In those 15 starts, Lynn has lasted six or more innings 12 times, and in two of the three games he failed to go six, he went five and two-thirds. In 93 innings pitched, Lynn has 102 strikeouts and only 24 walks. He has an ERA of 416, an expected ERA of 382, a whip of 129, and a BPV of 134. Lynn should produce more of the same this Saturday, and the Rangers should give him enough run support to add to his season total of eight wins. Believe it or not, there's another team with even better matchups than the Rangers for its hitters this weekend. We mentioned Despagne facing Texas with the second-worst matchup rating. Dodgers batters get Colorado right-handers with the worst and the sixth-worst matchup ratings. The only way it could be any better for L.A.'s left-handed hitters is if the games were in Coors Field instead of Dodger Stadium where they are. L.A. should do quite well at home against Peter Lambert and his matchup rating of minus 117 on Saturday, plus Antonio Senzatella and his matchup rating of minus 190 on Sunday. So load your lineups with as many Dodgers and Rangers as you can, go with both DeGrom and Hamels in our marquee matchup, take Lynn in our marquee mismatch, and use the BaseballHQ.com Pitcher Matchups tool every day to pick your pitchers. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his weekend pitcher matchups here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, my weekly discussion of baseball and fantasy baseball, and this week I want to talk about reasons to look at Clint Frazier. This might be an excellent time to try to make a trade for Clint Frazier. Frazier is the 24-year-old who helped rescue the Yankees' season when the club was absolutely hammered with injuries starting on opening day and even before. As you might recall, especially if you owned any of these guys, between the end of spring training and April 21st, the team lost Gary Sanchez, Greg Bird, Didi Gregorius, Troy Tulowitzki, that was a surprise, Miguel Andujar, and most importantly for this story, outfielders Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks, and Aaron Judge, the entire starting outfield. Things were so desperate that the Yankees actually signed D.H. Kendris Morales and first baseman Logan Morrison. Okay, Morrison was a minor league deal, but still. During camp, Frazier had been sent down to AAA, where he had already rocked a 9.63 OPS as a 23-year-old the previous season. The Yankees told Frazier he had to work his way out of a bit of a spring slump, maybe focus some on his fielding. But before he could do either of those in AAA, he was recalled April 1st because Stanton and Andujar went to the injured list. And boy, did Clint Frazier go to work. From April 1st through the 25th, he played in 18 straight games, five as the DH, the rest in left or right field. In 73 plate appearances, he hit six homers and drove in 17 runs. That prorates to 49 homers and 140 RBIs in 600 plate appearances. 
He slashed 324, 342, 632 with a 975 OPS. That, my friends, is scalding the ball. Then, on April 25th, Frazier suffered an ankle injury and himself went to the IL. He got back on May the 6th, rejoined the team, and resumed mashing, albeit at a slightly less torrid pace. In 35 games, he had 136 plate appearances, 5 homers, 17 RBIs, that's a 22.75 pace, and he slashed 260, 324, 447, a 771 OPS. Overall for the season, Frazier's at 11 homers and 34 RBIs, that prorates to 32 and 97, and his slash line 283, 330, 513. That's an 843 OPS, and that's well above average. More importantly, with Frazier in their lineup, the Yankees had gone 32 and 21, that's a 604 winning percentage, and they passed Tampa for the top spot in the American League East. But now Clint Frazier has been sent to a different IL. He's gone back to the International League. He's gone from the house that Ruth built, version 3, to the house that apparently PNC Bank built, or at least sponsored. And he's gone from the world's greatest city to, well, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, whose main claim to fame might be that the comedy TV series The Office pretended to be taking place there. In any case, the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders are the Yankees' AAA affiliate in the International League, so Clint Frazier was going to play for a team whose nickname represents Depression-era hobos. Not surprisingly, he wasn't happy about it. I guess I'm facing reality right now, a glum Frazier told New York Media. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's never fun, especially with how much I felt like I've contributed to this team. Baseball HQ's Matt Dodge wrote in Playing Time Today coverage that Frazier will play every day in AAA and await his next opportunity. But that's the thing. Frazier doesn't seem to have any next opportunities coming in New York. Stanton and Hicks are back, not that Frazier was going to get any reps in Hicks' center field bailiwick, and Judge's days away might even be on the roster as you listen. As well, the team plugged the DH slot by somewhat surprisingly trading for designated hitter Edwin Encarnacion. Nor will there be much playing time, if any, for Frazier's spare outfield DH type. Manager Aaron Boone says Brett Gardner will play a lot, presumably in some kind of rotation, to give Stanton and Judge half days off. And veteran outfielder Cameron Mabin will stay on the roster for now because he has a respectable 273, 357, 394 line in his 99 at-bats this year, and he can play all three outfield positions. That's an issue for Frazier, who defensively at least can't really play any of the outfield positions. He's last in all of baseball in some defensive metrics among outfielders, including outs above average and catch percent added, or subtracted in his case. And he sure put his leatherly limitations on display on June 2nd in front of a national TV audience. So given all of this, why should a fantasy owner be at all interested in Clint Frazier? The answer, pitching. Now, Frazier is not going to tow the rubber anytime soon, but the Yankees' playoff aspirations seem to depend in large part on how much they can squeeze out of their rotation. As it now stands, the Yankees' top five includes two reliable starters in James Paxton and Masahiro Tanaka, although we can only call them reliable if we exclude injury risk. The three, four, five slots currently belong to Jay Happ, a 4.59 ERA, 4.54 expected, C.C. Sabathia, who's at 4.14 with a 4.78 expected, and Domingo Herman, who's at 3.86, 3.86. Luis Severino, of course, is lurking in the background, but nobody knows for sure if he's coming. That might be enough. But the reporting out of Yankeeville, 
mostly rumor-mongering actually, is that the team is or should be in the market for a starting pitcher. Bill Merrill of the Hartford Courant, a veteran among others, said the team's early shortlist includes Madison Bumgarner of San Francisco, Marcus Stroman of Toronto, Matthew Boyd of Detroit, and probably or eventually Trevor Bauer of Cleveland. Other Yankee watchers say the team needs to shore up its bullpen, and again the targets include pitchers on Toronto, Ken Giles, Cleveland, Brad Hand, and Detroit, Shane Green. Do you notice anything about these three AL teams that I mentioned? Well, they're all huddled at the distant bottom of team offenses, largely because they've all had negligible production from their DH slots. Toronto's DHs have had 661 OPS, the second worst in the American League. Detroit 713 for 12th, Cleveland 770 for 10th. Now, if one of those teams were to get into trade talks with New York, don't you think they would be interested in a natural DH with proven potential power production? Well, they might not be so alliterative about it, but Frazier would be a perfect fit. He's young, he's cost-controlled, he's not even eligible for arbitration until 2021, and he can rake. As well, it's very likely that if any of these teams were to trade for Frazier, they'd put him on the 25-man roster right away, so he could give their fans something to stare at while they try to forget the trade of a quality pitcher and the white flag such a trade would seem to imply. Now, is all of this speculation? Sure. That's what we in the media do nowadays. And the Yankees might stand pat. Detroit, Toronto, and Cleveland might not like the offers they get, or they might not like Clint Frazier as much as I do. Cleveland actually originally drafted him. He was traded to the Yankees in the deal that sent Andrew Miller to Cleveland back when they were trying. So Cleveland might be more interested than most. And interestingly, when Frazier was drafted, Cleveland scouts thought he had plus value as a defensive center fielder. So, depending on your fantasy team setups and situations, grabbing Clint Frazier now when he's at the bottom of his value, not even playing in the big leagues, could pay off pretty soon with an 850-ish OPS from an outfield DH slot for the rest of this season and if you're in dynasty or keeper leagues in future years as well. To me, it seems like a chance worth taking. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Masternotes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Masternotes delivered to your email inbox in the weekly free Baseball HQ e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. You can also read Masternotes for free at the Baseball HQ website. And of course, we also have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, June the 21st. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 27 of the 2019 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Friday full edition, Nando DeFino, the fantasy editor for The Athletic. Nando's a great guy, he's great fun to hang around with, and an excellent guest here on the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Greg Fishwick, doing double duty as our weekend pitcher matchups analyst, and our frequent flyer commentator was baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. Todd Zola will be back next week. I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes commentator and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Stitcher or Pocket Cast iTunes, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. 
That really does help us find new listeners, and that in turn helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in seven days with another Friday full edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.